I'm Dan Walters. And I'm Anthony Peters. This is the No Ideas Podcast. Welcome to No Ideas. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everyone. (laughs) Um, Today's episode is with Mr. Bingo. Just amazing that this happened. Uh, Bingo doesn't do many, many podcasts. I don't think he'd done any when we originally got in contact with him. Well, we got in touch with him right at the start, didn't we? Yeah, he was Um, on our top five list right at the beginning. Mm. And uh, I think originally he'd said he didn't really do podcasts. Yeah. But we knew we wanted to talk to him, didn't we? Yeah, and we did persist. <laughs> Every few months we'd email him back. I mean, admittedly, at the beginning, we didn't have a single podcast recorded yes. when we messaged him. Yeah. So I think slowly we've proved our worth. Yeah, and we've and gradually worked our way through all his friends, haven't we? Absolutely. <laughs> and he was always lovely in yeah. his correspondence, yeah. but always maintained that he doesn't really do podcasts. Mm. So when we finally pestered him and he was like, right, let's get a date in the calendar, yeah. we were like well, okay, this is a big deal. Yeah, and we both kind of met him independently, didn't we? Yeah. Sort of along the way. Yeah. Um, kind of went and introduced ourselves to him. And yeah. Had a little chat. So when we met up with him, it was, uh, we kind of already had a little bit of... Uh, Absolutely. Bit of a, we, yeah, a bit of a... Uh, I don't want to say joy de vivre. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, well, just this was an incredible episode for yeah. us. And it's an amazing end to season two as well. Yeah, and there were so many things we wanted to know as well, like, you know, his kind of online persona is kind of interesting, isn't it? And Yeah. Um, there was lots of questions we wanted to ask, so I hope you guys kind of uh, are feeling the same. Like, Absolutely. Wanted to know the same stuff. I mean, things like, um, with the Kickstarter awards he did for the mm. hate mail book, like, how did those pan out? Nobody ever knew about the drunken train journey or how that panned out or, yeah. you know, doing the the washing up. Was it in the nude? I can't remember. I don't know. I'm not um, sure. <laughs> just, so we got uh, some details that are just beautiful mm. in the way that he he's carried out a lot of his stuff and he always commits. Once he commits to something, he always commits. Yes, just which is really admirable, isn't it? It's really... So, Totally. Yeah. And and there's a reason why he is where he is, because he's got a connection with people. Yeah. That very few people very few people in our um in his in his world have. Yeah. You know, he's his connection with people via social media is incredible. Yeah, totally. Totally. So we got up to his house, which is in um We did. We had to buzz him, didn't we? we and did. then and then in the meanwhile, while he said he was coming down to get us, someone had let us in. And it looked like we'd scaled the fence. Well, we tried to tell him that we'd scaled the fence, I think. Oh, yeah, we? but we're really bad liars <laughs> and we don't look like the kind of people that would scale a fence. So then we got up to his house, started getting the kit out. He lives in a beautiful um, kind of apartment over a, over a canal. Yeah, great views. We talked a little bit about that, didn't we? And then, yeah. And then checked out, uh, he's got a nice little collection of kind of art on the wall. Yeah. Um, that he'd kind of bought off people and people had done for him and... Yeah, it was really cool, and he kind of talked us through that and a few things in his flat. Some bits he got from a Russian boot sale. Yes, that's right. He had a lot of very healthy plants at that point. Amazing plants. Yeah, we had to move a lot of the the more deadly cacti yeah, away so from the table that yeah. we were interviewing around, didn't we? Yeah. So <laughs> we got all that out of the way. It was super like accommodating. Like it was an amazing sort of interview. Got Perhaps some great cakes. Best cakes we've had. They were pretty uh, good podcasts. cakes. Just if anybody. 
in the future is listening to this and we're coming to interview you, make sure you get the cakes in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, serious cakes. So we got we spoke about his childhood, which was supposedly fairly normal. We spoke about um, how he came up with the name Mr. Bingo. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah, and we talked kind of in detail, I guess, about the all the Kickstarter rewards, didn't we? Yeah, um, which was just brilliant. Yeah, it was like the answers cool. were incredible. Yeah, and then um, we did make we did write more questions than normal. Normally we have a two page rule, but we thought we're not going to get this opportunity again. So mm-hmm. it's on the longer end of our yeah. podcast, although quite a lot of them are quite long. But we don't know. We can't help ourselves. Sometimes. No, exactly. And we, we did something a little bit different with the with the kind of quickfire questions, didn't we, this time, which will Absolutely. Leave which us a will surprise. leave yeah. <laughs> Amazing. We'll be back again at the end with a little update of what's going on with No Ideas this year. We think this is a great episode to kick off twenty twenty. Enjoy the show. Today's guest operates in a quaint world of pastel-coloured clothing, vintage postcards, tea towels and after-dinner speaking. Add into the mix chicks with dicks, hand-drawn nudes, abusive hand-lettering, dead Brexiteers and an inexhaustible use of the C-word and you have the full picture. Welcome, Mr Bingo. Thank you for having me. That sounded interesting. Do you know what? If I didn't know me and I heard that list, I'd be like... Interested in this person? It's, we, <laughs> I don't we're, think I'm that interesting, but it sounded all right. Well, we've we probably know more about you than you know about yourself at the moment mm, from all the research that we've good. done. And uh, I have to say, it's some people you kind of get an idea of who they are and what their background leads to. But with you, you you've mentioned it yourself that you're a bit of a contradiction. So of you've become more interested the more research <laughs> yeah. you've done. So yeah, it's yeah curious. Um, so you grew up in Lee in Kent. Yeah, it's actually pronounced Lai, so oh, there's, there's quite okay. a few of these places in the country, and most of them are pronounced Lee, but the one I was grew up in is called okay. Lai. And it had a very small population. Really. Yeah, probably about 2,000 people. Right. 2,000 white people. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you uh, tell us a bit about your family life? So it was a small white middle class village, and there was lots of people kind of uh, playing cricket and living in little detached houses, and probably being quite conservative, and reading the Daily Mail, and living that kind of life, sort of sort of quite seventies. Okay. Sixties, seventies life. Quite behind. Right. <laughs> Did you go to like primary school and stuff there? Yeah, went to primary yeah. school there, which I enjoyed, and then went to like a grammar school. Yeah. I mean it's, at the time I thought everything was normal and then I left and thought, that was weird, that place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you got any siblings? Yeah, I've got two sisters. Okay. One who's uh, two years older and one eight years younger. Right. And they're just normal people. So you're in the middle? Yes. Okay. Yes. Man, was that tough being between two two sisters or...? Uh, not really, I yeah. don't think. Um, it's kind of weird because me and Katie, my older sister, were two years apart. So we were either very close or very arguing or whatever it was. We were always mm. like had some kind of relationship. And then Holly, who's eight years younger than us, was kind of born a lot later. So she was kind of left out a bit. Yeah. Like. I think that happens, doesn't it, with a, a distance between yeah. siblings. I think within two or three years of each other you find that you're experiencing the same things yeah. roughly at the same time. So your older sister, is it Katie, did you say? Katie, yeah. You you sort of experienced or went through a lot more stuff with yeah, her. Yeah, like, we feel like yeah. we're from maybe the same generation and then Holly's yeah. quite a lot younger, so uh, we used to call her the runt of the litter. Which <laughs> <laughs> probably psychologically damaged her. <laughs> yeah. she's, quite, she's quite shy and quiet. Um, what about your folks? What do they, what do, they do? Uh, they're still alive. Okay. Um, and my dad 
was an estate agent and my mum was a speech therapist. Are they still in the a same speech, area? A therapist. <laughs> <laughs> and they're together and they still live in the same area. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you get back much? Not that much, no. Yeah. I, I don't really like it that much. Yeah. I like going back to see my parents, but there's nothing really kind of culturally or visually that attracts me to the area. Is there a town centre or anything like that? Is that cause Just it's a little tiny, village, a little village yeah. one shop, one, one hub, shop. church. Church is kind of a lot of the main focus of the community, I guess. Um, and then there's a little town nearby called Tunbridge. But yeah, oh, okay, nothing yeah. Nothing goes on there, really. You know, one train an hour goes out of it. Fuck. Yeah. That must have been quite restricting when you were Yeah, younger. but then I didn't know any better. So, yeah. you know, I was quite happy there, I think. But then when I left, I was like, well, I'm never going back there. I grew up in suburbia, and so we had to make use of the sort of countryside and recreational drugs eventually and things yes. like that just to cure the boredom really yeah. but I kind of love I kind of loved suburbia but we can sort of wait to get out either. yeah it's um like it's, I don't I don't know what it would be like to grow up in London I'm quite glad I didn't grow up somewhere yeah. kind of exciting and cultural mm. and mixed and everything I'm quite glad I grew up somewhere so mundane because now everything still seems quite exciting yeah yeah because it's you come to London for the first time and it's it's mind-blowing yeah how, it's like another universe, isn't it? I, I first came in the late 90s, like 98, 99. I was just blown away. Mm. My girlfriend went to UCL and I lived with her for a bit and then we lived in Islington. And it's just a whole different universe. Yeah. We're going to come back to when you moved to London in a bit. Um, so what what did your parents like do? What were their passions? I really don't know. Really? Um, they're, not, they're not creative or arty. Um, I guess they like things like gardening and okay. listening to classical music okay. and just being sort of old-fashioned village people. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> now, are they likely to listen to this? No, I don't think so. Do they come... Have they come to any They would your... listen to it if I pointed it to them, okay. if I said, hey, check this out, but they wouldn't find it otherwise, no. And you got on really well with them? Mm, I don't think... I think when I was growing up, I didn't get on... I was a pretty bad teenager because I think they were quite posh and yeah. I rejected that and didn't want to be... It's like that classic thing where... You know how sort of like poor people from ghettos really yeah. want to be rich and posh yeah. and uh, and sort of like rappers wear lots of jewellery and they yeah. look to try and be the opposite. I was basically grew up in a fairly posh house and I wanted to be common and and I hated them and thought they were embarrassing and silly and posh and so I went through a really bad teenage stage of ignoring them for a few years Amazing. and uh, totally like rejecting the fact that they'd given birth to me, looked after to me, paid, you know, paid for everything. Um, but then, then I grew up and have been nice to them ever since. Yeah. yeah. But I think you have to do that rejection part with your parents. Yeah, anyway. I think it's just natural, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. I was other side of the track, so I'm like single parent family council right, stout okay. kid. okay, yeah. So um, I'm often quite... I defend other people's use of the word chav quite a lot because... It's those are upwardly mobile working class people who want to wear Burberry, right? Yes. Which is amazing. It's the same thing rappers want to do. Yeah. But I think because Burberry doesn't, in some people's eyes, belong to those yeah, people, yeah. they were kind of chastised for yeah. it. So I was sort of the other side of the tracks. Yeah. So it's like super loyal to my yeah. mum and stuff like that. It, was, it sounds a bit more EastEnders, a bit more yeah. grim than it actually was. <laughs> I mean, my background's basically boring. Like I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be very good on the X Factor or something like that yeah. because no one would be interested. No one would want me to make it because I've just been given quite an easy life. Did you, do you think the seeds of what you, what you are now, did they come from things that you imagined at that time or? 
So, like escape an escape from boredom. Yeah, probably. I, I mean, I can't think of any like early influences. I'm sure there are loads, but um, I feel like I just had this weird natural, as stupid as it sounds, I had this weird kind of natural thing from like the age of one or two to be wanting to make stuff and make art and little books and drawings and try and make people laugh. I mean, it's kind of what all kids do, yeah. really. But mm. I guess I took it really seriously yeah. and then never stopped. <laughs> I literally just carried on doing that thing you do as, when you're a kid. Amazing. Trying to entertain people. Yeah. And uh, you get a good feeling if you make people laugh and then you do that thing again. And totally. And that's still what I do now, you know. When my kids were a bit younger, if they made us laugh, they would then keep trying to make yeah. us laugh to the point where it got fucking annoying. Um, <laughs> did, did you, in your rebellious stage, was music connected to this rebellious stage? Did you start listening to like sweary rap or anything yes. like that? Really? I uh, got really into... Um, I guess it might be called gangster rap. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I remember playing some Onyx in my dad's car. Nice. Uh, an album called Back Da Fuck Up. It's got a swear word in the title. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Anything, anything, any CDs that had the uh, show mage there, any, any CDs that had the parental advisory sticker, yeah. it was like, yeah, I like that. Amazing. Uh, yeah, so I got really into gangster rap because it was just so different because yeah. it was like black and it was aggressive and it was American and it was people from a completely different background to me and I was just thought it was the coolest thing ever and I was just like a little classic kind of white middle class village kid completely obsessed with it, you know. That's amazing though. Yeah. We have in New Haven, which is seen widely known as a shithole, we just had recently there was, um, there was a bandstand built and some people in the town complained they said it doesn't mean anything to the town we may as well have a bench for EZE and they got together the money from crowdsourcing and the town council let them build a bench to EZE right opposite this bandstand that's so cool the rest of the town <laughs> must go and visit that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I went recently but they just probably like, just don't know who he is do they, they? They have yeah, no, yeah. well once they knew that he was a rapper from LA who yeah. died yeah. they were like why is this in our town <laughs> yeah oh, amazing um, so did you have any favourite cartoons or music growing up uh, Ren and Stimpy I really liked okay. it depends what age we mean actually so Ren and Stimpy would have been more of a teenage age right. because that's kind of show. an adults cartoon I'd mm. say even though children can like yeah, it it's, it's definitely weird, for it? grown ups as well um, I don't know what else really I suppose as a kid I probably liked typical things like Disney cartoons and stuff um, and then music I don't know um yeah, I guess I guess like rap was the first thing I or hip hop was the first mm. thing I really like got excited by. Actually, no, before that I was really into um, the rave scene. Okay. Maybe just start. No, yeah. So I got into rap music. Then I really got into it. Sort of um, ninety to ninety three. I got really into hardcore rave. Okay. And I was too young to go to the raves, right. but I collected all the flyers. It was a big thing at the time. Yeah, so yeah. Even my local town had a little record shop dedicated to rave music. Or whatever you call it. It is called Rave. It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's turned into like jungle and drum and bass. Um, but yeah, I used to be particularly into the genre known as happy hardcore. Yeah. Uh, we had all the little piano tunes, speeded up vocals and like female vocals and stuff um, with basically uh, like a kind of drum and bass. Yeah. Really fast beat. And uh, I'd buy all the tape packs I used to get. Amazing. Um, cassette packs. Yeah, like what Stearns and Dreamscape, all that yeah, kind of exactly. stuff. Dreamscape, yeah, exactly. Dreamscape, Eclipse, yeah. Fantasia. Fantasia. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I'd never been to any of them because I was I was under 18 and I didn't look, I looked very young. So yeah. I'd never been to a rave. I didn't do any drugs, but I was completely immersed in the scene as a supporter. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Again, from my bedroom as a little boy, you know, but... Yeah. That's incredible. So I'd buy magazines, there were these really shitty magazines, I can't remember what they were called, and then I covered every inch of my bedroom walls in the flyers. 
So just is like color. It looked like a bin had been sick. Yeah, because there were some pretty sickly yeah. colors. Yeah, yeah. Amazing, weird sci-fi style designs on yeah. those flyers as well. Yeah, yeah, incredible. Kind of like fantasy airbrush art. Yeah, yeah sort of like sexy silver <laughs> robot women. Yeah, and, then, and grids as well. Yeah, like yeah. over everything. Yeah, and then just just sort of like really bizarre cartoon kind of like kind of graffiti cartoon style. Uh, drawings of basically a man, a man on ecstasy. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's your earliest creative memory? It's really hard to know what's a real creative, what's a real memory, and what's just you looking at a photo, um, which is obviously a classic topic. Um, <laughs> I always think I can't remember much of my childhood, but so I think I remember me and my friend. I had a best friend called David Silk at school. Um, who was so, so creative and now just works for the government. <laughs> um, well, I mean, that, maybe that's what he wants yeah, to do, but it does but seem a waste because he was really yeah. interesting. And every weekend, we lived next door to each other. We basically made friends when we were two years old and every weekend we would either go to my house or his house and we would sit at the kitchen table, a massive stack of A4 paper and pens and pencils, and we would just draw and draw and write books and stuff. Amazing. And that, yeah, and we used to absolutely love it. Have you seen him? Do you see him still? No, I've lost contact with him. I mean, we used to go for a drink once a year. It was kind of interesting. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I could like find him on Facebook. Yeah. And Do you think you still have stuff to talk about from back in the day? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it was, it's a shame. Yeah, he was so interesting. He was like definitely the most interesting person in the village. And he was really alternative. He like, he made a lot of effort to, to be weird and different. Amazing. And then he just... Uh, went to university he was clever and then just got a normal sort of suit job damn <laughs> yeah what kind of things were you drawing in your how long were you doing it all day um, uh, we spent a lot of time uh, writing a book called City of the Goblins and then we did it was about 180 pages of A4 right. <laughs> one of us would write the chapter and then the other one would do the picture to go Amazing. with it right but then I looked back on it a few years later and it was basically just a rip off of Labyrinth <laughs> and, uh, so we were really influenced by um, those role oh not role play that's the wrong word like fighting fantasy yeah fighting yeah, fantasy those were great the Peter Jackson yes books. so yeah. we had loads of them yeah and I guess we were into like goblins, monsters, adventures, yeah, that kind of stuff. Oh, sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, and what were you like at school? Um, disruptive. Okay. And um, a bit of a dreamer. Apparently, just looked out the window a lot. And I think I was really annoying because I was a bit. I was sort of like. Um, basically, I was one of those really annoying people that was clever enough to get by without making too much effort, which is super horrible mm. for anyone that can't do that but it meant I didn't have to try too hard I wasn't interested in any of the subjects I always felt I was too young to be interested in history mm. or science or Latin or you know any of these things I just thought now I'd watch a documentary or yeah, something yeah. but then I just didn't care and all I cared about was drawing and doing art and I put all my eggs in one basket and put 100% of my effort into the art class and we always get A plus or whatever for the homework mm. and just spent all my time on that. And then in all the lessons I would just draw and quite often draw things and make the class laugh. And that's why I was known as being disruptive. So the right. teachers didn't really like me, um, but I managed to get all my GCSEs and A-levels and stuff and get to university. So Good work. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel, I feel guilty for um, right. that kind of getting away with not trying hard at school. Yeah. Um, but really, it seems unfair. It wasn't suited to you, though, right? No. In, in different types of schools, like maybe a Steiner school, I don't, 
know too much about them would have recognized your skills and passion mm. in that area and yes and developed that so I, I went to a traditional grammar school they wanted all the they wanted everyone to be clever and study and go to Oxford and Cambridge and study right. politics philosophy and economics and give the school the grades and numbers they wanted because it was, it was a really high achieving school so it was quite hard to get into so I don't know how I got into it <laughs> it was weird being at school because um because it was such a high achieving school and I somehow managed to get in, I was always the bottom of the class in right. all the kind of grades and stuff. So I, I felt quite thick yeah. and uh, a bit stupid. But then I think that probably made me try even harder at sort of becoming something else. Mm. Did that put you in a, this is a weird question, in a sort of outsider position, do yeah. you think? Do you, because and we're going to come Which back I to enjoyed. this. I've always want. I, I liked being an outsider. And okay. I think it's one of those things where you kind of um, instead of it feeling like I'm a weird loser that doesn't fit in, yeah. you're like I'm going to wear that as a badge. Amazing, yeah. And that's I think what that's like going to art college. You know, yeah. The teachers really didn't like me because I was kind of a bit of a wasted student because I was just interested in doing art. And then what's really nice for me is twenty years later, um, one of the tutors' teachers they called at school found me on Wikipedia and it's someone's put the school on my Wikipedia that I went to. I've no idea who these people are on the internet that I don't know who made my Wikipedia. Oh really? Oh, wow, okay. put things on it. It's just there. It's so weird. Uh, it's makes very you, well organized. Makes you feel Wikipedia famous page. basically. Yeah. And um, it says my school and they they saw it and thought, "Oh right, he's someone. He's got Wikipedia. He's like special." So they invite me back to do a talk to the pupils. And it was oh, that's so it. weird because Was it? Uh, you know, I'm used to talking to adults, and I basically I consider my work for adults, really, mm. mainly. Um, sometimes it is nice if I do things that children like as well, but I, I'm not really. I'm aiming for adults, I guess. And so, I'm used to doing talks to adults as mm. well. And I got invited to speak to. I mean, they kind of knew what my stuff was like, so it was the sixth form. So that I guess okay. they're like yeah. seventeen and eighteen, maybe. Um, but. You know, I went back to that room, which I hadn't been in for 20 years, and I was standing on the stage where they had assembly, which is a room I sort of associated with kind of stuffy, boring, weird mm. past that I had. Um, and I was in charge and, and showing them pictures of postcards with cocks on and um, a, a, like a, a drawing of the Queen being uh, fucked <laughs> in my school. And, and they all had to get permission from their parents to go to attend this lecture. And it was so bizarre. Especially considering how little fucks they gave about you when they were teaching you. Yeah. To then get you in as an inspiration yeah, for other yeah. kids to become like really, you. That's, that's, yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. You know. I always wondered about the Wikipedia, actually. So you still don't know who's... Who no, you're not it? allowed to set your own Wikipedia page up. Oh, yeah. There's nothing to physically stop you, but your, the rules of the internet are that your Wikipedia page should be set up by someone else. Wow, that's nuts. And mine appeared really, really early on, which I, I was definitely shouldn't have had. I mean, I still don't think I should have one. I'm really because yeah, you're probably the only person in the industry in the UK that's got one, right? <laughs> yeah, like probably. It, Anthony, yeah. I don't think Anthony Burrell has no. one. I think it's, mm. So it's, yeah. it's a strange... So somehow, like really long time ago, we're talking maybe over 10 years ago, someone decided that they liked <laughs> me so much as a freelance illustrator that I deserved a Wikipedia page. Amazing. And yeah... That's a, that's a it good story in itself. Yeah. yeah, but it's great for me. It makes me look good. It's yeah. I mean, look, we it helped us as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as, it, as a, I mean, we already knew a lot of stuff, but as a jumping off point for things that we might yeah. be. Yeah, I mean, it missed. was really out of date. So actually, it'll tell you if you look at it. It'll tell you when it was set up. Yeah, the date. But um, so a lot of the stuff was really out of date. Maybe ten years out of date. 
And then I got shit-faced on a train with a stranger called Chris, who paid for it as part of my Kickstarter. And he said to me, um, "If we talked about Wikipedia, and I said, it's really annoying that I can't edit it. And he said, oh, I'll, I'll do it for you if you want. Um, and so I said, great, I'll just send you some prints, and then, um, you know, as a thank you, and I'll send you a list of changes. And so, so I secretly did edit my Wikipedia a few years ago, but via someone else's hands doing all the work. <laughs> if you're going to have one, it may as well be up to date. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's a tool, really. Yeah, yeah. Um... <laughs> But what's crazy about having a Wikipedia, if someone Googles you, instead of it just being, here's the stuff, it's like, age, school. Yeah. And it's really like, <laughs> wow, that's, yeah, it's quite official. Yeah, totally official. Yeah. Because it, 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 it's up there with, like, politicians are on there, yeah. and, like, world events and things like this. It's, uh, yeah. Because I got banned from LinkedIn a few years ago, because I couldn't, presu- I couldn't, um, I got banned from LinkedIn because I couldn't prove that Mr. Bingo was a person. And in a way, maybe he isn't, but, uh, you know, it is me. And yeah. I, yeah, I should have sent them my Wikipedia. I said, look, it's fucking... That's real. nuts. Yeah. I haven't heard of anyone who's been banned from LinkedIn either. Yeah, That's... they just said it's a silly name, or if it is your name, you need to show us identification. I was like, I haven't got any... Yeah. Driver's license with Mr. Bingo on it. Yeah, that'd be nice. You should change your name, like, officially. to Deedpole. Yeah, yeah, I wish I had. Cause, so I like people calling me Bingo. I've been called Bingo for 21 years, and I'd love to change it by Deedpole, because... Yeah. Oh, that's what I like to be called. Yeah. But I just think I'm too old and it's too much trouble. You know, it's yeah. too much admin to under... I hate admin. And so I, yeah, I think... Yeah. I feel like it would be like a week of admin. And yeah. I mean, maybe I could pay someone to do it for me. Yeah. Next time you're getting shit-faced on a train, you could... It's a Kickstarter, I think. Yeah, what? Changing my name? Pace, we're looking, we're looking to, to raise £200. <laughs> <laughs> would, would, yeah, so I'd make that it. pretty quickly. <laughs> you did a foundation course at Kent Institute, which yeah. is when the bingo name came yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Right. Did you enjoy the foundation course? Was this Absolutely you... loved it. It was really? life-changing because that was the moment where I'd gone from school where no one took me seriously and I was a joke to suddenly all the silly drawings and stuff I was doing, people actually took it seriously and said, oh yeah, this is a real thing and you can actually have a career. Amazing. So it was completely life-changing. And you know, you obviously, did, did you two do foundation I did, courses? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you yeah. know what it is, but for the listeners out there, <laughs> you study, you know, illustration, graphic design, fashion, ceramics, um, fine art, photography, yeah, all the stuff, yeah. printmaking, mm. and you have a year, an extra year to play around and decide what you want to do, which most normal people don't get that. They just get, you know, 18, go to university, and it's like, it's, yeah, it's crazy. I feel like everyone should have a year like that. Yeah. You know, imagine how brilliant it would be yeah. for everybody if they just had a year where yeah. they could just experiment totally. and stuff. And, and the other thing was just suddenly meeting, uh, and like kind of being a bit of an outcast at school, even though I said I did enjoy that, suddenly being around your people. It was mm. like, oh my God, I'm around all these people that are into like skateboarding and hip hop and uh, art and graffiti and, you know, all this like interesting cultural stuff that people at school weren't really into. You found your tribe. Yeah, there, exactly. Yeah. Mm. So um, when you were at Kent Institute, that's when the, the name Mr. Bingo came about, right? Not Mr. Bingo, just basically the, the name, B- I got the nickname Bingo because okay. I played... Uh, we got to do a project on anything we wanted. They said, make a book about anything. And I decided for some reason to make a book about the game bingo. Okay. I was thinking about old ladies and games they play and stuff. Don't know why. And um, <laughs> just decided that bingo was a really funny, interesting thing. And so got a membership to Gala Bingo in Maidstone, and which is the nearest one to the college. Yeah. Um, went down with two of my friends, played bingo once, uh, took a camera, uh, recorded everything, made lots of notes 
won £141 by Amazing. mistake. <laughs> and then people started calling me bingo the next day and I kind of liked it and yeah. so inc- almost encouraged it and it became my name. Do you, have you played bingo since? No. Never played it since? Not really a massive fan. <laughs> I don't like gambling. No, me neither. No, don't I don't get it. I got married in Vegas and didn't gamble. At right, all okay. I just... My wife's American, so you we... Could, you could say that getting married is a huge gamble. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> just put that in there. Uh, just in case biggest... my wife's listening, yeah, yeah. it paid off. <laughs> <laughs> biggest gamble of your life. Um, so there's never going to be like a Mr. Bingo, bingo-related event? Well, I would like to do one, actually. I have taught some people about doing... I, I would love to do a Mr. Bingo, bingo night, okay. where instead of numbers, we have... Uh, drawings amazing pictures. okay um, the only reason I haven't done it because I think it would be really popular um, so instead of calling out a number you'd mm. be like man with tree as head or whatever the drawing <laughs> yeah, was yeah. and then you circle it but the only reason I haven't done it is because it would just be so much work so you'd have to draw about 100 pictures and yeah. then you'd have to create a bit of software that had an algorithm that could print out random um, yeah bingo cards with the pictures randomly on and I know people that could do all this and it could happen but it's just can you be bothered yeah I would definitely <laughs> go along to genuinely I would yeah I think it would be, be so yeah. much fun I mean it'd be nice because you'd get and then you'd get like a printed thing as well yeah it would obviously only be digital because you know the the uh, each one is obviously different yeah um, but yeah it's like a thing you can take yeah. away as well because oh, yeah, making a bunch of bingo based bingo books they would be cool though that yeah. would be a great piece of ephemera well, I, don't, um, I don't even know if I like the name Mr Bingo I think it's pretty stupid especially as you get older but um, it's too late to change it now I, I basically invented a brand <laughs> or my name I hate, hate the word brand but I invented my name uh, when I was 19 and now it's you know 21 years later I'm stuck with it so it's just that I'm Mr Bingo forever but sometimes I sort of talk at a conference or something and they say and now up to the stage is Mr. Bingo. And I think, oh, that's, that's fucking, that's so stupid, that name. But um, I think it, it's one of those things. You've got to go with it. Maybe you'll feel like that for a while and then it, it will just be fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't mind it. Yeah. Um, so you, after your foundation, you studied graphic design at Bath Spa? Yes, I did, yeah. Um, and chose to uh, specialise in illustration. Yes. So um, what kind of work were you doing then? Um, I wasn't very confident about being an illustrator. In fact, the only reason I went into doing illustration in my second year was, so so it was a broad-based course. You study graphic design and illustration in the first year, and then at the end of the year, um, you decide which one direction you're Mm -hmm. going to go in, and then you study that. And I didn't know what to do, and the tutor at the time said, uh, let's have a vote. Who thinks he's a graphic designer? Put your hand up. Who thinks he's an illustrator? And 100% people said illustrator, so right. I was democratically voted into the industry. Wow, okay. This is really That's lucky. amazing. Yeah. Was that a good tutor? Can't remember who it was. Oh, I just okay. remember this thing happened. I don't know who the tutor was. Yeah, that. so I decided to be an illustrator, and then... Wasn't, I was never confident about image making in graphic design or illustration because I never had a sort of read. I was sort of like, you're always overwhelmed. There's so many different ways of making a picture mm. and I just never knew where to start. You know, do you do a collage? Do you do like drawing? Do you do things on a computer? Or, so what I ended up doing, which I was really into, was um, just animation. Oh, right. So I spent that two years being an animator, learnt to animate uh, on a rostrum camera, just hours on my own in this little <laughs> okay. room with uh you know do you know what rostrum camera is so it, it's no it's basically old school cell animation so okay um no computers or anything and just a, a camera um based uh looking down on a on a sort of like table thing yeah. and then um you draw your picture put it on 
takes press a button, it takes a photo, take it off, put it on, press it again. So e each time is like maybe yeah one thirtieth of a second. And so you draw hand draw everything, press the button over and over again, and then maybe by the end of the day you might have like ten seconds. Or Amazing. Something. That's like it classic Disney really and stuff, cool. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm a, I'm basically a trained traditional animator. <laughs> well, Did not really that well self taught, I guess. <laughs> Did you enjoy that? Because it's quite a laborious process. I did, yeah. I like I like um, kind of basic factory tasks. Cause <laughs> you if you're doing it for yourself, that is, you know. You can get lost in it, I guess. It's the thing. Yeah. Some people we've met are kind of minimalists. They like to say as much as possible with doing as little as possible. And then Jim Stoughton mm. was, um, he, he's a maximalist. He'll just fill a, a canvas. And he says he really enjoys that. The, yeah. The, you know, the... The idea of having to fill every little bit or build a composition that intense, I guess it's sort of a similar thing. It is, yeah. But I'm different to that now. I like doing things really quickly. Yeah. I'm quite impatient. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, sometimes I do. I don't know. But I'm definitely not like Jim. <laughs> <laughs> do you think you'd ever go back to doing some animation? No. No. Um, well, I don't know, maybe. But, I mean, so, so when I graduated from university, I wanted to be an animator, right. and I made a CD-ROM of all the work I'd done. Um, started make, so after I did the um, rostrum camera stuff, I then learned about Mac computers in my third year, got really excited by them, got one, uh, got an iMac, and um, it was one of the, so it was, you know, you know the year where the advert was, the, the colourful ones? All yeah, 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 they were so like a CRT yeah. monitor, but it was everything still amazing, though, yeah. this yeah. is a sort of like design relic yeah stunning. so I have one of them and um, yeah learned to use flash and mm -hmm. got really into that quite geeky coding stuff yeah. and I made a lot of interactive flash animation stuff at university which went down really well won a DNAD award um, and then when I left I uh, made a CD-ROM sent it to my favorite animation companies which is maybe about five companies yeah. or something and tried to get a job at one of them and didn't get it um, got offered a job somewhere else and didn't take it, which is one of the best things I've ever done in my life because I thought it just isn't quite right for me. Mm. So it's like crazy. To t I turned down a fairly good salary um, job basically working on um, flash animations for CD-ROMs for children's Amazing. books. And I just knew that if it wasn't the right career choice and then went and worked in a trainer shop in retail on minimum wage for two years instead. That, um Danny Sangra says that you both yeah. crossed paths around this yeah. time. Yeah. yeah, it was amazing. We worked in size in Covent Garden, or size, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, all the people that worked there were like, we were all kind of sneakerheads, like really into trainers. Um, but somehow that shop, I don't know why, because it's just a shop, attracted really creative people. And so there was Danny, there was a guy called Chris Brooks, who was a photographer, a guy called Merlin, who did fashion. And we all wanted to be something else, but we mm. all worked in this shop together. And then eventually now we're all doing our thing. Amazing. Yeah. It's quite Size crazy. Illumini. Yeah, uh, yeah. 2005 yeah, or something. Yeah, it's weird. Amazing. But yeah, so to answer your original mm. question, yeah. I did do some animation after I left university. Yeah. Um, I did some, yeah, like flash-based animation. Did quite a lot of stuff for a company called Poke, who I absolutely love because they were one of the first companies to give me work as a freelancer and looked after me kind of told me I wasn't charging enough and uh, yeah so I did I did some animation for a few years and then at one point I decided I'm bored of animation it takes too long and I took it all <laughs> off my website oh right okay it's not the first time you've done that is it they've actually just killed your whole website as well yeah I have you? a I have a bit of a habit of um, killing things yeah <laughs> brilliant though so they don't follow you around no, it's right great. it's like a year zero yeah exactly really. yeah. yeah I mean it's such 
Easy, simple advice. If you don't like something that you're doing, get rid of it. Hide it. Because otherwise people keep asking you to do it. Yeah. We just talked about um, size and trainers. Yeah. But what other crappy jobs did you do during uni or shortly after? So... At uni, I remember there was one summer where I had three jobs. So I got up in the morning and cleaned a uh, supermarket and the toilets. Um, and then I worked in a shop called Bath Crafts and Woolens, which is just like a retail <laughs> shop selling <laughs> shit to tourists, like really bad stuff. And then I worked in a shop called The Card, which was amazing, okay. um, owned by a couple called Jane and Steve. Big up Jane and Steve, <laughs> who lived in Oxford. And they basically gave me the keys to their shop at the weekend. Um, and me and my friend James Greenfield, who now runs a really good company called Koto, uh, branding agency, we basically ran the shop at the weekend and they just left, to it, left us to it. Amazing. And it was just so easy because you didn't really have to do anything. It was down a little side street, hardly anyone went in there. And so... We just sat, um, one of us would like sleep downstairs with a hangover probably, and then the other one would set up <laughs> serving customers. And I'd spend most of my time drawing at the till, and then occasionally someone would interrupt your drawing, and they'd be like, oh, you want to buy something? Yeah. And what you'd sell them a greetings card. Greetings card. Oh, okay. Amazing. Probably took like a hundred quid or something. <laughs> <laughs> Did they own the place then or something? Yeah, or? yeah. yeah. I Sadly, those. it's not there anymore, uh, but yeah. So I love that those. Was, Sorry, go on. I was going to say, that was at university, and then when I left university... I worked in size, which I loved for about two years, and then I worked in um, HSBC in Canary Wharf, nice. the forty-two floor tower, as a office temp. It's one of those jobs where you, you just like you're not you can't do anything. Yeah. You know you, you don't have you don't when you've got nothing on your CV, you get given office temp work. Yeah. And my you know my temporary job was to. Um, Put, separate the post into pigeonholes for bankers right. and I ended up doing it for eight months <laughs> but what was amazing about that job was they had loads of spare rooms and chairs because it's a big building 8,000 people in there 42 mm. floors there were loads of rooms with no one in with really decent office chairs and desks and if you had an ounce of intelligence uh, you could do the work in about two hours and then you had about five hours free to just do anything because no one's watching you yeah. as long as the mm. work got done there's no manager watching over you. They're just in the post room downstairs. So I spent um, a lot of time in there doing all of my first illustration jobs. So things like nightclub okay. flyers for clubs in London and whatever whatever jobs I was getting at the time were drawn in a suit in HSBC Amazing. Tower. <laughs> Cheap Amazing. suit. Yeah, from Next. I did a lot of um, <laughs> Office Angels. Um, yeah, it was Office Angels. Yeah. yeah, and I did some at Canary Wharf as yeah. well. I lived in Greenwich at the yeah. time. Some really shit jobs, like getting biscuits and tea for people. Yeah, and like but that. it's really good to work in an office because yeah. you can find out you can, you see how bad life can be. Yeah, and I absolutely. Want, yeah, and so so happy now that I don't do that. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then the last job I ever had was working in PR. I think that was when I was not sure if I was ever going to be an illustrator, and I thought I used to look through the Guardian on Wednesdays or something when the jobs it was called something like media jobs, and I didn't even know what that word meant. And I didn't know what PR was, and I just thought, oh, I'm going to try this. So it was like meant to be a proper job. And I worked there for a few weeks, and then I just started getting a few illustration jobs in that were paying okay, and I decided I'm going to leave, I'm going to quit, and just try and be an illustrator. And it was a bit of a bold move, I guess, and they said... Um, it's really unprofessional that you've given us two days notice. Because um, I, I got a decent job in, you know, and I was like, I'm, I just want to leave and then do the job. And they said, uh, you know, we'll never give you a reference. You'll, you'll never work in this industry again. And I said, I really don't want to. So <laughs> I'm hoping this is the last job I ever have. And, and stuff like that, like, make, gives you so much fire to, yeah, to, totally. to be successful. So since then, I've never had a job. 
What year was that, do you think? Uh, 2003, I think. Oh, wow, okay, amazing. Yeah. Thanks to Harvey Lloyd Screen Printers for sponsoring today's show. Harvey Lloyd are a printer who work with artists, illustrators and designers, often in collaboration and across a range of mediums. Their reputation for creativity, high quality work and close attention to detail means that they regularly work with clients such as Spin Studio, Somerset House, Adrian Johnson and No Ideas guests, Mr Bingo and Anthony Burrell. If you're looking for forward-thinking printers to work or collaborate with, then head over to harveylloydscreens.co.uk or follow them on Instagram. And don't forget to tell them who sent you. Now, back to the show. So, you collect postcards? I do. So, when, when did you start your collection? I don't know, actually. It's just one of those things that started happening. Um... I don't know. I, I've, I've always been really into boot fairs and vintage yeah. shops and antique shops and stuff since a really young age. And uh, there was, I don't know, there was a certain... I, I've collected lots of things. Like, right. I don't know, I used to collect Jackson 5 records for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I collected uh, vintage uh, video game consoles oh, from the sort of 70s. Yeah. Um, um, erasers or rubbers. Uh yeah, loads of different collections, but postcards are the ones that I've kept. All the others okay. I kind of got rid of. Um, yeah. So I've decided I don't want to be a kleptomaniac anymore with loads of drawers full of stuff that yeah. you never look at. So postcards is the only thing I've kind of stuck with because it's really easy to maintain a postcard mm. collection. It doesn't take up much room. No. It's just a yeah. big drawer. So you were quite young then when you started collecting them? Probably, yeah. 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 It's hard to tell though, really. You just suddenly realise, oh, I'm a postcard collector. <laughs> you, don't, you don't go that day. I am now going to become a postcard collector. Um, yeah. Do you think you're nostalgic? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, I think you. Okay. There's something I really like about old-fashioned postcards, right. and I don't know what it is, and I can't explain yeah. it. So, all the postcards I collect are probably pre-90s. Okay. And I've got lots from the 50s and 60s and 70s, and I'm particularly attracted to UK ones. Right. Um, and. I like colourful, kind of weird little villages and towns and casinos, um, not casinos, um, bingo halls, hotel, <laughs> yeah. shit hotels. Um, I don't know, yeah. But, but And I like looking at them, but I couldn't tell you why. Yeah. I couldn't put it into words. I'm with you on that. Yeah. There's something about the colour and... The, yeah. yeah, vintage, yeah. nostalgic, ephemera, yeah. Um, how many postcards do you reckon you've got? Oh, nothing crazy. Oh, Probably okay. just like... Not thousands, you know. I'd love to say, oh, I've got 50,000. <laughs> <laughs> Probably 500 or something. Okay. I mean, uh, a lot of them I sent to people as part yeah. of a project I did. Um, but I only, I only keep the ones I really love, yeah. My, get... my, my best collection is, po- I've got post- a collection of postcards with one person in. Okay. Which is about, it's about 100 now. Okay. Um, they're good. Were there any when you <laughs> sent them for hate mail that you were like, do I want to send this? Don't I want to send it? Uh, as in the, the hate like, mail was too rude yeah. or the postcard no, I mean, was too like, good we'll come to that in a bit but right. like you maybe loved it did you love this the postcard, postcard? no I, I wouldn't have sent it if, I, if there's okay. a postcard I love I okay. keep it yeah okay <laughs> so I've got a collection of postcards which are just for me which is pointless because I just sit in a drawer and occasionally look at them and then I've got a, another pile of postcards which are for art okay yeah amazing <laughs> so how did um, hate mail come about 
Um, hate mail is something in 2011 that started as a joke uh, when I was basically look, looking at my postcards one night um, in my studio mm. on my own late at night, which is when I think some of the best ideas come. Yeah, yeah. Like when you're lonely and attention seeking. <laughs> I had been drinking and I wanted to send a postcard to someone and instead of just sending a postcard to a friend and it being a private personal little thing that yeah. I needed to do, I went on Twitter and said... I will send an offensive postcard to the first person who replies to this. And I already had a fairly decent following of quite loyal fans at the time who were kind of into me and into stuff I was doing. So I could do a tweet like that and it would get quite good uh, engagement. (laughs) (laughs) hate that word, but um, it's the proper word, isn't it? It is. (laughs) And so loads and loads of people replied. And then I sent one to the winner called Jonathan Hopkins and it said, Dear Jonathan, fuck you and fuck your shit legs. (laughs) Something like that. And a drawing of some legs. It's really simple and sent it to him. But took a photo of it, which I then tweeted, I guess, as well. I think this was before Instagram. Um, And people really loved it. And then I started getting requests from people saying, please, can I have one of these offensive postcards? How do I get one? I want one. How can I get one? And then three days later, just decided to try and turn it into a business as a joke you know mm. I, didn't, I didn't think this is going to be the next big thing I just yeah. most of the stuff I do is just to cause uh, a bit of amusement for a short amount of time that's the idea yeah. so don't expect it to turn into anything but it turned into something much bigger so I I used to have a really simple website and one of the one of the like um, pages on my website was just called hate mail and it was five pounds and you clicked on a PayPal button and then you send me your name and address and I send you an offensive postcard. So it would go to, and you could choose it for anyone. Mm. So you, you could be yourself or a friend or a loved one or an animal or whatever. It didn't mm. matter who it was. And I would send the postcard and I didn't know anything about the person. I didn't want to know anything about them. I just wanted to send completely random yeah. abuse in the post. Uh, yeah, and that's how it started. And it, it, was, it was so popular straight away that I had to close it. <laughs> <laughs> within days yeah a few days yeah. yeah that's a bargain now though five pounds for yeah now, now right? it's a thousand yeah yeah is that is that <laughs> which is just prices i make up you know yeah. stupid is that because you don't really fancy doing them at the moment yes or? i don't like it anymore i'm bored of it so you wouldn't if you came back to it and wanted to do a whole bundle more would you bring the price down or would you well i did um at the beginning of this year, I opened Hate Mail again for one final roll of the dice. Even though I was kind of bored of it, I just thought I'd sort of like milk the final bit out of that teat. Even though there's millions of people, that want it, like thousands of people that want it, I kind of made it available. I sold maybe about 200 or something um, at the beginning of the year. And those were the last ones I ever did and I haven't done any since. Apart from now, it's a thousand pounds to yeah. stop people buying it and people still buy it. <laughs> um, are you going to do like aging rockers where they do like a nostalgia tour in like 25 years are you going to do like the hate well mail? probably yeah it depends it depends what it depends if i need to or not basically is <laughs> not it i mean i like being honest about everything yeah. I, i've put on my website there's a big faq which you yeah. probably read yeah. um and uh it's basically just me interviewing myself yeah and uh, one of the questions is will you ever open hate mail again and i put well you know if i need to like old bands that get back together yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so I love the fact, and you just mentioned it a second ago, that none of the insults are specific to the person. You just have the name and the address. Yeah. But you have mentioned in some talks that uh, some of the things that go on to them is is things that you end up hating that you see in everyday life or things that you have sort of a uh, disdain for, yes. like people on scooters or people talking yeah. into the ends of their phone. Yeah. It must be kind of nice to be cathartic sending like 
hate to strangers knowing that it's got nothing to do with totally with them it's really therapeutic it's like you see someone you hate I don't know I'm not, hate is a strong word you yeah. see someone that's annoy, annoying yeah. that person annoys me I don't know why it's annoying and instead of having to you don't want to tell that person they're a stranger that's not yeah. very nice so you send it to another stranger mm. and they can pay for it as well <laughs> I think a lot of them yeah. are quite universal hates though yes people with speakers on buses like yeah. what, what are you what's your current pet hates in the, <laughs> the modern age yeah, loud people anywhere yeah. on public transport. People, pe- people on phones actually. People having phone conversations on yeah. buses. I don't yeah. know why it annoys me so much. Um, loads of stuff. Uh, really happy couples. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just most people, you know. Yeah. Just wondering. You know. It depends. It depends what mood I'm in. Sometimes I'm in a really lovely, happy mood, and I love everyone and everything. But um, do you lock certain things? Obviously, get locked into your mind though, like things you see. Yeah, they must do. Yeah, yeah. and I have read in recent years that you said that you started to realize how amazing people are as well so not that sounds like i'm saying that you always hated everyone but yeah it feels like it, there's quite a balance to it so it's not just sort of pouring scorn on everyone it's no like, it's, yeah, it's a big contradiction i generally love people and think yeah. i think they're incredible and amazing and interesting but occasionally i just uh, <laughs> make really horrible jokes about certain <laughs> members of society mainly just mainly to make people laugh to be honest yeah. it's not really because it's not like i'm sitting there um really angry on my own writing this diary about things i hate it's more just like oh that's annoying so yeah. i expect some other people will find that annoying so i'm going to draw it and put it on my instagram and always funny though that's the key thing isn't it yeah it, it has to be funny yeah yeah, yeah. which isn't a very hateful thing anyway no exactly I, I think a lot of people get really confused when they see all the hate mail postcards they think i'm going to be horrible yeah i'm actually really nice <laughs> and um it's just a joke it's yeah. just to make people laugh and all the people that got those abusive postcards were made happier as a result of getting them so do you this is just to pick up on that point a second do you feel do people some people act strangely about around you when they meet you because they're not sure who you are in relation to the work uh, or do you have people trying to be funny to you or I don't know people yeah, yeah people always try to like, like to be funny online I guess um, mm. I get a lot of abuse online but it's all very jokey it's yeah. all very matey you know and that, that's nice um, it's like part, part of like the gang you know mm. um, but I don't know about people meeting me in real life really what they what they think or expect um, I, I, I suppose I have met a lot of people that said I thought you were going to be um, really rude to me and tell me to fuck off. And it's like, why would I do that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know you. Yeah. So are there any ideas that you drew that you knew were like kind of too far? Uh, no, I think I've put all of them through. Because um, right. I've I've, I do have some kind of my own self-guided morals, even okay. though I'm just not a business or anything. But uh, So I don't touch on race, sexuality, um, and disability and religion. Um, and the, like the first three are because I actually care about them. The mm. fourth one, I don't touch on religion. I don't care about religion, but the reason I don't go for it is because sometimes uh, if you make religious jokes, you get killed. Yeah. <laughs> you can't, it's yeah. just not worth it. No. It's not worth it. No. It's a bit of a tip. I like freedom of speech and everything, yeah. but I wouldn't push it that far. Yeah, I don't want to upset those ones. <laughs> Talking about sexuality, you draw a lot of dicks. Yeah. Um, what do you use as reference? <laughs> um, d- photos of real cops on the internet. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> also, just to go back to the the hate mail thing about what do I think is too far, I've also changed within my life. So a lot of them are really body shaming. And, right. you know, fat, you're fat, you're fat this. And I wouldn't do that anymore. So okay. that's quite weird um, that 
how quickly I've changed in the mm. last few years because of society. Not because I've, I've I've basically tried to catch up and be more politically correct. Right. We're going to come back to this a little bit in, in a minute yeah. with the calendar, actually. Right. Which I think is is super important. But we've still got quite a bit to milk out of yeah, hate go, mail. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you mind if we if talking us through some of the elaborate rewards that you had in the Kickstarter? No, I love talking about that. In, in fact, <laughs> it would be good if you could... It's the best thing um, I've ever done. Just talk about the Kickstarter then. If you could just explain the Kickstarter and why you did it and what happened and then we'll talk about the, the rewards we've got a few we want to specifically sure. okay. ask about so, so yeah I did a Kickstarter in 2015 uh, to self-publish a book about the project um, I'd already had a book published by Penguin three years before which was a really great thing to have out but as an experience I found it a little bit underwhelming and which sounds crazy for a major publisher to, you know, to do a book with them but um, there was lots of stuff I didn't like about it, like uh, I had to have a celebrity quote on the front cover, I had to have my name on the front and this big title and had to like scream by me from the bookshelf. And I wanted to make a book that was like a pretentious, fine art, yeah. beautiful object, which is not what a publisher wants because it's not going to sell as much. So I decided to self-publish, which is like a weird backward step, mm. also like a vanity project. You know, it's like this book must exist, so I'm going to self-publish <laughs> it. Um, and... I decided to do Kickstarter and it was mainly influenced by my friend Darren Wall who um, someone I went to uni with I used to live with him as well and he's done a lot of crowdfunding mm-hmm. campaigns for publishing projects he, he runs a publishing company called ROM Read Only Memory and he makes super geeky books for kind of like uh, middle aged uh, computer games fans and he does really well so he knows all about Kickstarter mm-hmm. and he said yeah you'd be really good at it because um, he knew that I was good at already kind of cultivating an audience, hyping things up, talking to strangers on the internet and getting them to do stuff mm. and had this loyal following already that we could like plug into and, you know, set it off. So um, I paid him to uh, kind of um, as a consultant on my Kickstarter project to help me with like all the boring planning of it and spreadsheets and he you know how to make a book and sourcing all the paper and all all the kind of project stuff he did and then my job was mainly to write it which is the kind of more creative bit I guess Mm. and I spent months writing my kickstarter I wanted it to be better than all the other I'm quite competitive I suppose and I saw a lot of kickstarters spent a lot of time researching kickstarters and thought all of this could be better Mm. and seeing how other people have done it and think how can this be done better and so I wanted to make the best Kickstarter video ever I wanted it to be different to all the other <laughs> Kickstarter videos and I wanted to have rewards that were just kind of people would really laugh and share um, and so that's why that's what I did um, and it was the most popular Kickstarter in the UK was it ever that? was it ever no it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's the most crowdfunded you have to put a few parameters in to get it to be the top <laughs> yeah. it was the most yeah, it's the most it's the most popular um or it's the most highly crowdfunded uh uk publishing project ever which is pretty good that's out of yeah. like eight thousand or something so like, the competitive nature was anyway. utterly paid off then really yeah yeah and it was amazing the video was incredible yeah it was a proper zeitgeist moment like mm. people were sharing it with me all right i mean it must be strange hearing that from the other side yeah. of the, the table but people were sharing it everywhere i remember i got it sent to me from handfuls of people yeah like, it was one of those things, like in early internet days when everyone would send a meme around via yeah. email. It's like that. It was. It was. But I did realise that at the time. I didn't expect it to be as popular as it was. Yeah. I knew it was good um, when I pressed the button, but I had no idea it was going to be as like buzzy as it was. You could feel it going through the internet. Yeah. So 
I don't have anyone doing press or PR mm. or anything professional like that. And literally, I mean, you could kind of tell I thought it was going to do okay because I hired a hotel room for me and Darren, or two two rooms for for two days where we launched the Kickstarter. Amazing. So it was already quite grand, <laughs> and you know, we, and we launched it with like a bottle of champagne, having breakfast. So it wasn't like I was a kid in a bedroom on a laptop, but um, we had no idea it was going to do it as yeah. fast as it was. You know, so. We pressed the button and um, all I did was four tweets and yeah. an Instagram post. So nothing else, no emails, didn't tell anyone about it. Just literally mentioned it on Twitter and it just went <laughs> just like, I think lots of people were just really shocked that I'd bothered to make a rap video. And that yeah. was the thing that sh- was shared yeah, so yeah. much. And yeah, I know a lot of people that work in the t- design industry that were sent it like 20 times. Yeah. yeah. Got, people were getting sick of it, but... <laughs> got, how, so how it, much, it basically went viral, didn't it? Yeah. How much were you asking for? I wanted thirty-five grand, and, then, and it, weirdly, it was exactly a hundred grand overfunded, <laughs> and one hundred and thirty-five grand. Um, fucking amazing! How did yeah. that feel? Crazy. I felt yeah. rich actually. Um, I mean, I wasn't rich because uh, it's, it's quite interesting when you do a project like that. You don't realize how much of the money you actually end up spending on it. So, uh, a lot of people thought I'd made a hundred grand, but I probably made about, I think, about nine grand. Okay. Um, which is still great considering um, most Kickstarters don't make a profit, you know. Uh, But then what I did is obviously I made loads of books which were complete profit. So every single book I sold, I got paid for because it was other people's money making it. I I did give quite a lot of money to charity as well. How many many months um, did you spend planning it? I reckon I spent about three or four months yeah. planning it. Because um, I know some people that probably do a Kickstarter in a week. They just yeah. sit in their bedroom and go, right, this is what I yeah. want to do. Record it on the laptop, shout into the screen, then put it up. <laughs> Whereas mine was like really serious, you know. Because it was a real make or break situation for me. Because I already had a little bit of a public following. Um, it's, a, it's a massive public failure if you don't make it. And I wouldn't, yeah. I actually, my ego wouldn't have been able to handle yeah. it if I didn't get funded. Especially considering it's your, you're the, the center point of the whole yeah, thing, yeah. right? It's not like a third party project that you can just slump away from and present. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It really is like, this is me. This is what I'm going for. You can see I put a lot of time and energy into this. So it wasn't like, all right, guys, I uh, don't really care if you get it or not. It was like, <laughs> I really care. Look how much I yeah. care. I've made a rap video. Um, <laughs> um, and luckily, yeah, it funded in on the first day. Yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely yeah. amazing. Um, so... We love the rewards on this. I think that part of the whole magic of the process was some of the incredible rewards yeah. that you sort of came up with. How did you come up with the rewards? Just a lot of time thinking and thinking what's funny and um, uh, bouncing ideas off friends. Yeah. And lots, lots of them just sounded funny. The, the, my favourite one I remember writing was just called um, Mr. Bingo Does the Washing Up. It's just yeah. a really weird sentence. Yeah. And uh, I was sort of, you know, in a shared studio with people going, what do you think about Mr. Bingo Does the Washing Up? And they'd just be like, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, there was loads of others that I didn't do. Can't remember what they are now. One of them, or one of them was just called A Walk in the Rain. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just basically you go for a walk in the rain. But the thing about that one is logistically it's really hard to deliver because whoever won that, you'd have to be in contact all the time and say, right, I think it's forecast to rain tomorrow. Are you free? You know, where do you live? And we need to meet up and then walk in the rain. But, um, yeah, it was just I was just doing stuff that made me laugh. But what was so nice about the rewards for my Kickstarter was it was the first time I'd ever had the chance to be really creative uh, outside of drawing and illustration. Mm. So I was kind of showing, I guess, that I could come up with creative thinking for um, just like abstract ideas and and, uh, 
what what the, what were they? I guess they were like um, um, novelty meeting up. What do you call it? A sort of like. I, well, I mean, from what we're going to come to in a minute, I think. And this they were is a experiences. Thing that... is, I think they're almost like art happening. Some <laughs> yeah, they I, were. Ge- bit... I genuinely do. Yeah. And we were going to talk about Piero Manzoni canning his own shit and selling mm. that and things like this. And I think a lot of this fits into that. Yeah. That heritage, really. I'm massively into piss taking art. Yeah. I love it. I really like it. I like any art that kind of challenges stuff because art can be anything. Absolutely. So like, I'm absolutely accepting of any art. You know, people that, people that would go into the art gallery and go, that's just a pile of bricks. Yeah. It's like, they, they shouldn't. They should just yeah. go, that's a bit of art. You like it or you don't like absolutely. it. Absolutely. And um, so some of the stuff I saw on my Kickstarter, I think the most arty one was uh, Meet Me for a Pint in Five Years' Time. Yeah, which that's is Because that's really year, weird. Right? Yeah, because yeah. mm. they, were, they, they were buying something in the future. Yeah. Which or is, another, another, the only one that didn't sell was called Be My Friend. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that one. We did. Yeah, we did. yeah. Because <laughs> it was... It was you were sort of um, almost self-sabotaging by making it five grand, was it five yeah, grand? Yeah, so it was expensive, but um, I also kind of didn't want to sell it in a way. Because, well, no, I did I did want to sell it because it would have been a great PR piece, but I sort of didn't want to sell it because it would have been a year of um, sort of having to keep up this joke that yeah. someone was your pretend friend, yeah. and uh, that's a long time to do yeah. that. Because <laughs> we think it reminded us of the films I Love You, Man, you know, where... Um, oh, I haven't seen it. So he, he's getting married and he doesn't have any friends. I'm right. not saying you don't have any friends, but he needs a best man. And so he starts just sort of trying to find people that yeah. can be his yeah. best man and ends up becoming very good friends yeah, with yeah. this person. Um, or it's like, um, what is it, Dinner for Schmucks or mm. something like that. Where Right. So... Because the thing about me is I, I like doing joke ideas, but I take the delivery of them really seriously. Yeah. And I'm absolutely like so strict about delivering exactly what I've said I'm going to do, which is, um, I guess, one of my strengths. But yeah. it's also fucks your life because, uh, <laughs> you know, there's no one really cares as much as I do about doing stuff so properly. Well, because the friend one was elaborate, right? Yeah, it yeah. It was promising a lot. messages yeah. a month and hanging out for a certain amount yeah. of hours. <laughs> yeah. And- um, um, sharing secrets, yeah. attending weddings and funerals. Yeah. It was Which really, yeah. I mean, I think it's like hilarious. So we're going to almost like quickfires. We're just going to smash for and just ask for a little piece about some of the rewards. Yeah. So, um, and I'll give one word answers. <laughs> Cake. <laughs> Sex. <laughs> How was the date at the Weatherspoons? Well, I sold three. Okay. Uh, there, well, there was three available. Um, I made it female only because okay. I'm straight and I wanted yeah. it to be more awkward. Okay. I thought if a guy came, it would just be funny. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, it's a pretend gay yeah. day. Um, and, um, and some gay men uh, were offended by that in a kind of jokey way. Yeah. They were like, it's unfair. Why can't we buy it? You're so, yeah. this is like um, sexist. I said, sorry, it's ladies only. <laughs> sorry, sorry guys. <laughs> and I sold one to... Um, a girl in her t- who's like maybe about 25 from Copenhagen who flew over for the date. Amazing. Um, and I turned up late and she was outside the pub because there was a fight in the pub. And then we- I walked, and then this is an example of me um, delivering stuff properly. So because it was called Weatherspoon's date, I said, okay, I'm sorry there's a fight in the pub. We're going to walk to the next Weatherspoon's Amazing. in London. So I made her walk to the next Weatherspoon's in high heels. Uh, her, not me. And, uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, that one was okay. It was yeah. fine. Um, I mean, I know what you're thinking. Did anything happen? No, nothing happened on them. It was just, okay. I was more of an escort. I yeah. guess. And then the other date was with a woman called Nina, who was 57. And okay. I really liked that one because... She was older, quite a lot older than me, and so she had loads of interesting stuff to talk about. 
and you know she kind of got that it was a joke yeah um but it was but you know i turned up uh, with a suit and a box of milk tray and she, she was sitting there again i was probably late she was already sitting there <laughs> um with a bunch of flowers for me and we just had a really <laughs> lovely evening you know yeah. it's just two strangers chatting to each other and sharing their life stories and then peck on the cheek and see you later do you still speak to any of these people uh no that's amazing though yeah <laughs> um do you like a Weatherspoon? Oh, I'm sorry. And the other, the other date, um, basically I'd sold two and there was one still available in the last week, which was uh, damaging my ego and annoying. <laughs> I, want, I really wanted that one to be sold out. Some people thought I was more sexy and um, it wasn't selling. And a guy in China said, is there any chance you'll let my now I'm a man, but is there any chance you'll let me buy the Weatherspoon's date? Because it's the only reward left that comes with a hate mail postcard. And I said, uh, do you know what? keep it a secret but I'll let you have it because it's good it makes it look good for me how it sold out <laughs> so I sold it to the guy in China and then um, thought kind of nothing of it thought it, I said it's on the slate for life and he got in touch last year or this year I don't know six months ago or something and met, met up with me in London and we went to the Weatherspoons. fucking brilliant <laughs> did you have a particular Weatherspoons you went to uh, for him and Nina we went to the Mask Haunt in Old Street okay. opposite Argos and the other one was around Angel Islington. Okay. Area. Yeah. Do you like the Weatherspoons? Not that much. I don't know. I like pubs. Yeah. Uh, I used to love Weatherspoons when I was younger because yeah. they were cheap. I spent yeah. lots of time in them. The reason I made it called it Weatherspoons Date was just, it's, just an, it's just an extra level, layer of joke, isn't Absolutely. it? If you called it Pub Date, it's not as funny. Yeah. But mm. It's funny. It's funny that it's a Weatherspoons because it's basically a cheap shit date. It's fairly reasonable priced meals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fairly decent. Um, um, so your Mr Bingo does the washing up did people leave lots of washing up for you to do uh, they were different so uh, first of all everyone took that one really seriously and basically realised what they were buying me they were buying an evening of my time and right. so none of them just said come in and do the washing up and leave right. which is kind of what it's meant to be yeah. but there were no terms and conditions attached so it's kind of up to them right. and all of them having me around for dinner and had friends around who were maybe fans and it was really nice okay. you know? so I just had dinner with strangers and then there was a certain point where I was like Okay, guys, I've got to do the washing up now. And then I'd do the washing up and go home. But um, one of them was a real piss take. It was a cafe uh, in uh, Notting Hill, and they left most of the washing up for me to do. So that was a lot. Um, the other one, um, there was a couple, a couple of friends of mine who bought uh, one of them, and then they had a baby and forgot about it. And then a year later said, okay, we want to we wanna do the washing up reward. And I said, yeah, sure. And um, he said, do you want to do it naked? And I just said, yeah, okay. Because I quite like... I always say yes to challenging questions like that. Just sort of, just, I don't know. I like kind of pushing myself. Mm. Um, so I did their washing up naked okay. uh, with a, in front of a dinner party of 12 people. Well, it was, it was an ape. I had an apron on, but it was like bare bum. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if, you scroll, if anyone's interested in seeing... Uh, uh, if anyone's interested in seeing uh, images of that, you yeah. can scroll back far on my Instagram. There's a couple of pictures of it just to prove that it did I remember seeing, I think there's a kitchen door and you're stood... Are yeah. you facing the dishes, maybe? Yeah, or, yeah. I can't remember, yeah. Um, that's just amazing. Really <laughs> brazen. Um, getting shit-faced on a train. Mm. Uh, were you nervous about getting trashed with I strangers? was, yeah, yeah. Um, all of the stuff I sold on my Kickstarter was so funny at the time uh, when you're writing it, and then when someone buys it, you're like, oh, he's telling all your mates, someone's bought the train one, someone's bought the fucking getting drunk on a train, I can't believe it. And that's the funniest bit. And then the day before or the morning of it, you're like, oh my God, I'm not sure if I want to do this now. This is weird. Like, 
I don't know if I'm in the right mood to go and meet five strangers. And I, what, what was difficult about it at first was that you felt like you were suddenly doing a job that you were completely out of your depth in. Because it's like, I can draw pictures and make people laugh on the internet. But now I'm suddenly saying to five strangers, I'm going to be the host of an experience on a train. And I'm going to entertain you and keep you happy all day. And like, I'm not trained to do that. That's kind of like a weird, cheesy, yeah. you know, like team outing thing. Um, but I just got on with it and, uh, and it was actually fine. You know, you're just literally learning on the job. Um, and what the, but the thing that was, um, surprised me, pleasantly surprised me about the whole thing was I didn't need to look after people and all the people that came with that experience brought their own personalities and their own energy to it. And they basically took it on and I could just sit there and enjoy it. There was no expectation for you to be sort of the... The center of no, I just had great. to like take charge at first, which I yeah. guess I learned a lot during my Kickstarter. I became more confident with dealing with strangers and stuff and um, learned that you could boss people around. And if, yeah. if you suddenly become a leader in a situation like that, everyone listens and does yeah. exactly what you say. And it's, you're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize this. <laughs> Did you have all the tickets? Shy. Yeah, so Did I hand out the tickets. <laughs> I was in charge, you know. Um, oh. I'd buy, uh, I'd spend about 250 quid in Marks and Spencers on the booze and snacks. And then that was too much for one person to carry. That's the other thing. I do everything on my own. There's no assistance or anything. And a lot of the stuff is actually impossible. <laughs> And so I'd buy all the stuff, keep it behind the till, and then when the people would turn up for the train journey, I'd say, right, can you, I need two of you, come with me, and you're, <laughs> we're going to carry all these uh, bag for life things uh, onto the train. And then we'd get on the train, and as soon as you opened, like, the first bottle of champagne, or Prosecco, or whatever it was, everyone has a glass of that, and then they're all just, like, chatting yeah. and getting on with it, and you amazing. don't actually need to do mm. anything, and that's it. It's amazing. It's really easy. Did you choose the locations? Yeah. Did you, was it the same location? Because it was four journeys, wasn't it? 20 people, one? Yeah, right? 20 people, split them into groups. Yeah. That, the other thing is there's so much admin involved in this. <laughs> I think a lot of people think that being an artist or doing what I do is really fun all the yeah. time, and it is really fun. But a lot of it's really, really serious, and um, like being a project manager, yeah. or there's a lot of admin. So <laughs> Especially with that. So with the train journey, they'd spent 150 quid on a first-class train journey, including food and drink. Now... If you go to the wrong place at the weekend on that price, it's going to cost you 400 quid yeah. per person or something. It would have made a massive loss. So I had to find places that would basically break even or make a small profit. And um, I did. So, yeah, I, I spent. I basically drew a circle around London uh, of two hours on the train and then typed all those places into, you know, the ticket thing until I found places <laughs> that I could afford. And they're so different, you know. And so I went to Bournemouth. Um, Norwich and Kings Lynn. And okay, those Kings are all, Lynn. Yeah, and those are all affordable uh, first-class tickets on a Saturday or a Sunday. So in the journey was you go there, you get drunk on the way there, and then yeah. you get off. Did you just wait for the next train and come back? Uh, yeah, it was not. It was basically the same train um, normally. Yeah, so we'd get there. Oh, um, so you just stay on the train. Yeah, you'd get you'd get <laughs> off. Uh, we'd get off. Um, have a photo taken with the sign, like a little Amazing. group photo with the sign of where we'd travel to. And then, and then it would be like a 10 minute stopover and then we'd get back on the train and it was, yeah, it was normally the same train. So we could just get back on the same seats and then travel back. And people got really, really drunk because you, the thing about it was that you were meant, it was called getting shit faced on the yeah. train. And so everyone absolutely went for it, you know, and I had to as well, even if I didn't want to. <laughs> did you have breaks between the four? Yeah, I did them yeah. over... Uh, about two months. Okay. I mean, it's bad for your health, stuff like that. That's the problem. That's the other thing about things like that. Um, I, I don't think I would be able to do that again because it was actually just too much. Yeah. You know. <laughs> but it was really funny. <laughs> um, 
your your troll package mm. you, was trolling fun uh <laughs> it was fun but also exhausting right. like like it was quite really hard work actually to, to troll someone for a week because you know it's something you have to do every day um I mean, the, the thing about my Kickstarter was there was like 3,752 rewards. And so if I'd spread that out over like a year, I could have delivered it a bit more slowly and maybe yeah. enjoyed it a bit more. But I think a lot of it, I probably probably didn't enjoy all of the delivery of those rewards yeah. because it was basically a massive chore. And I was literally just plowing through it on my own. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and then finally, it's about the stretch goal of the mum's boob job. Yeah, mum gets a boob job, 150 grand. <laughs> she didn't quite make that. No. Was this a real thing or was this a... No, she doesn't want a boob job. <laughs> Is it like a nod to Kanye or something? I don't know what it was, actually. Yeah. No, it was... Um, oh, well, uh, do you know what? It was just making people laugh yeah, again. It was it's just brilliant. being outrageous. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> there's, another, there's, there's two like weird things about my family in the Kickstarter. There's a line in the end of the Kickstarter video where it says... So please invest or I might turn to incest, marry my rich sister and live off her interests. Basically suggesting fucking my sister. Because <laughs> yeah. as I say, as I say, um, turn to incest, I do that thing with my finger okay. going into the hand. Yeah, yeah. Um, and my sister, and I didn't tell her and she saw it and she was like, what the fuck is this? What are you talking about? She's not, she's not rich either. You know, there's lots of light. And uh, I just said, well, it just rhymed, it rhymed with invest. And that's, it was just a good joke, you know. So Do you think the two sisters called each other to work out who had the biggest bank account? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you talking about? Actually, for some reason, I was thinking of my older sister. So, <laughs> but not, not, a, I don't know why. Yeah. Um, I think she was probably the most annoyed by it but yeah so mum gets a boob job um, it would have been difficult if I had ra uh, raised 150 grand because I probably would have had to it would have been really good to prove that I'd done it but obviously wouldn't have happened you know yeah that would have been awkward yeah yeah so it was kind of lucky that it didn't happen yeah um, and, and, and again my mum um, I didn't tell her about it and she found it she looked up my kickstarter and saw it but to her credit, this was actually very creative and funny. She sent me a postcard saying, uh, how dare you suggest that I should Amazing. be having a boob job? I think my boobs are perfectly fine, if not a little bit deflated from uh, all the children suckling on them. <laughs> so she does need a boob job, but uh, she doesn't want one. But it would have been amazing, wouldn't it? Just to have a before and after Fucking photo hell. with me yeah. with my arm round her, like checking out her new tits. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been good. Um, I was going to say, what's interesting for me, looking back on all the weird hate mail reward stuff, is at the time I didn't really feel anything. I just thought oh, it's a funny thing to do. But then it, it's so much easier to like look back on it now with hindsight and kind of post rationalise and go, actually, that's quite interesting. Some of that stuff, you know. And this is what I get to do with a lot of the public speaking. I get to really like digest and and like think about what I did and why I did it and it's actually quite interesting a lot of it I think I think the whole thing is is absolutely fascinating the rewards yeah. firstly I'm not sure even kickstart was as much a big thing as it was at that time but the way you used it and then the way you interacted with your fans afterwards is, is incredible yeah. and, and earnest as well because yeah. people can smell a PR stunt a mile off yes. but everybody just knew from your work and the type of person you were and the way you communicated with people that these were just earnest these were jokes <laughs> yeah yeah you know these were like drawings become yeah, real yeah yeah um, and they really happened as well. Yeah. So I think a lot of people would put some, something like that on the internet and they go, oh, but I didn't really do it in the end. It's, it's like, I really have to do it, you know. And think of all those people who, that, that those days, like they might have been a chore to you some days. Oh, fuck, I've got to get up again. Yes. And, but to a lot of those people, they're like, 
remember that day? Yeah, it's you a know, funny that, life yeah. moment. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it is for me as well. But yeah. Yeah, for, yeah, it was... But the whole thing is like quite an epic thing yeah. for you. But to these little people that took part, in, I think it's amazing. It's definitely more than just silly moments. You know, yeah, there's... definitely. But at the time, it was moving too fast to stop ever and go... <laughs> Wow, this is really cool what you're doing. It's just too fast. That's that's the problem, you know. Did you feel quite relieved when everything was Yeah, I ended up hating it towards the end yeah. actually, which is kind of sad because I'd done such a good thing. Uh ended up like being a real like massive bane of my life and yeah. a massive pressure. Um and I cared too much um about delivering everything perfectly and I think I suffered like health-wise for that. Um Whereas I, should, I shouldn't have cared so much because I just felt this immense pressure because I'd never done something like that before. I couldn't sleep at night knowing that thousands of people hadn't got their rewards. Yeah. And I was felt like... The stupid thing is, basically, 3,700 people are fine and they go quiet. And that's what you should do if you back a Kickstarter. If you ever back a crowdfunding yeah. campaign, you give the money and then you just step back, forget about it, and hopefully you get something. And if you don't get something, that's also within the rules of that yeah. kind of you know thing. But there was probably about 50 people that kept saying, where's my thing? And those are the ones that keep you awake at night, which I shouldn't have let them do that, but I There's did. an amazing email you sent out to them, I think you've shared on one of your talks. Yes, so basically you do updates with your Kickstarter, yeah. which is great. And the updates, um, you just send it, it's like a MailChimp or something, and uh, it goes to every, it goes to every um, backer. And I got really tired of people saying, where's my thing, where's my thing? Like a lot of people were saying, where's my book? And it's like, you've backed something to be made. Do you know how yeah. fucking long it takes yeah. to make a book? I made my book in a few months, whereas like a publisher would take a year and a half. You know, you're, you're lucky you're getting it when you do. And then when everyone did get it, they were, they were oh my God, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I didn't stop working. Um, but uh, yeah, I did, an, I did an update called Impatient Cunts. <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty risky because basically you know 4,000 people have given you 135 grand yeah. and then you've just called them cunts but um, they really liked it yeah <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean luckily it was in the kind of tone of voice of the project yeah. um, which I get away with but it was so honest it said look everyone just leave me alone because loads of kicks, loads of people that have delivered kickstarters have actually gone crazy and like burnt everything yeah uh, no one ever realises how hard it is to do until you've actually done it well, you know yourself. Yeah. Yeah, we failed. Oh, that's but, true. But, yeah, but that is could, true. But we yeah, can step but, away from it. Yeah, but um, the pressure of just yeah. doing it. It yeah, was a lot yeah. of work. It was a month of solid work, constant yeah. updates, constant. Yeah. And when you price everything up, and not just the thing you're, you're making, the rewards. I mean, yours, £20,000 in postage, is that right? How yeah, 20 grand postage. Mental. Yeah, yeah. Because all of the postage for the book was anywhere in the world, wasn't it? Yeah. And some of those, the price was quite. It was good value. Small. It was like yeah. 15 quid for the book. Yeah, yeah and yeah. anywhere in the world postage. Yeah. Um, so that was, you know, did you have those... I mean, when I look back at the numbers, it doesn't actually make sense. <laughs> if, it, if it had just raised £35,000, I feel like it wouldn't have been enough. But then I suppose it was 20 grand postage because we sold so many, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, so, and I made double the amount of books. Yeah. So, I, you know, I stretched everything. But um, I mean, it's one of those things, I guess, once the dust settled, you were like, fucking hell, I did this crazy thing yes yeah yeah and made a rap video yeah yeah the rap video is funny <laughs> <laughs> i think that was another thing as well which got me new fans because people were like oh he's not just he doesn't just draw silly pictures he actually he's like a performer now <laughs> he's done a rap video but then ever since then 
I get people saying, are you ever going to make another rap video? When are you going to do another Kickstarter? And it's like, I don't want to. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't know if I want to do a Kickstarter ever again, but I'm glad I did one, you know. And it's definitely of its time, which is why I said it's a sort of zeitgeist moment because Kickstarter was a thing. Yeah. Like everything was sort of perfect and you just went for it. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. It was probably lucky timing as well. Yeah. You, you can't control stuff like that, can you? You, just... you can't control the timing, but the no. effort you put in yeah. is incredible. Um, do you think you are an observer or a participant in everyday life? So difficult. Um, I guess more of an observer. I mean, I do participate. I spend a lot of time. Yeah. I spend more of my life on my own than I do with people. Right. So I guess that makes me an observer. Okay. Uh, I guess like back in the schoolroom when you were just drawing a lot and other people were sort of getting on with their stuff as yeah. well. Not to psychoanalyse or anything, but... Um, I don't know. I've always been quite a loner. Um, my parents said that when I went to primary, uh, when I went to um, play school before primary school, I used to walk in and then get in a little rocking horse and just sit rocking backwards and forwards <laughs> for the whole time, completely happy. You know, not not needing anything yeah. else. But the contradiction is, uh, like you said earlier, I'm full of contradictions. I am a loner a lot of the time, but I also crave attention, and I get a lot of that online, which is which is why I have like. A decent following on yeah. social media because yeah. I'm good at talking to strangers. Basically. <laughs> there's, I guess, there's a buffer there as well with with the internet. You get to still be alone and yeah, exactly. With people, which yeah, is strange. Yeah. yeah, I think dichotomy is the word. I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah, um, but yeah, I know I can never work out if I'm an introvert or an extrovert because sometimes I can be the life and soul of the party person who's like the main voice at that table, commanding everyone and making mm. all the jokes and being the centre of attention. And then other times I can be completely like alone and hating crowds and being in a room full of people so that's how, how i am to a certain extent yeah. it takes a lot of energy to be a big and lively person and a lot of drink and then you like it when you get there yeah yeah but then sometimes it can just leave you ruined for a few days afterwards yeah. it's, a, it's a lot of work but i and i do a lot of stuff like i speak on stage a lot which is a really weird thing to do because you're in a way in a warm room of hundreds or thousands of people all connecting with you, doing something. But you're also, it's quite a lonely position to be in because you're on your own on a yeah, stage. Solitary. And then at the end of it, everyone claps and then you walk off and you're just on your own again. Yeah. And it's, it's a really strange life. I was always interested in the moment, those moments with big bands where like you've just done 20,000 people at Glastonbury and then you just walk <clears> off on the side of the stage. It's like your kids and yeah. your wife or... It's pretty uh, difficult, I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah, um, especially if it's just gone really well. There's still yeah. this roarous applause, and then you're just behind this curtain yeah. with all the mechanics of a building. Yeah, like, yeah, um. <laughs> yeah. It's that that moment where uh, a room empties of people who loved you and were cheering and clapping, and then you're just um, like taking your little plug out and closing <laughs> your laptop, putting your stuff away, and uh, it's so weird, yeah. you know. Or you wake up the next day in the hotel room alone, just thinking, "What? What happened? Um, where is everyone now?" <laughs> We wouldn't be able to make these shows without our amazing sponsors, organisations such as Dot to Dot Printing, a giclée and art printer that both Dan and myself use to do all of our art prints. Amazing quality, great paper stocks and swift delivery. They also offer automatic integration with online shop platforms including Etsy, Shopify and WooCommerce and can fulfil your orders from the moment they're ordered until the moment they get delivered to your happy customer. Go to dot2dotprinting.co.uk and quote the code no ideas. You get 10% off your first order. Now, back to the show. Uh, 
Um, did you set up the watching Mr. Bingo Instagram? Yeah. Right. Uh, a lot of people think it's run by a stranger, but it's um, basically uh, a few people started taking photos of me in the street because I think I'm quite easy to spot in the summer, especially because yeah, yeah. I wear shorts and pink, like colourful stuff. And a few people were sending me photos of me and I thought, this is really funny. I think this should be a thing. Uh, and so I started collecting them and made it into an account called Watching Mr. Bingo. It's really <laughs> stupid. But I mean, it's, what's amazing is it's got something like 1,800 followers, which right. is a lot more than most people's yeah, yeah. normal account, which is what's so funny. It's another, it's another art joke. Do you ever get like creeped out by any of them? No, I just right. accept it as modern life. I think it's completely fine. You know, if someone, someone spots me and records a video of me or takes a photo of me, <laughs> great. It's not a problem at all. It's mostly funny though, isn't it? Yeah. The hard thing But is... like people see you all the time, yeah. so it's the same. It's just, they're just admitting it. But you must be pretty comfortable with, with yourself, which is a brilliant thing. I mean, I guess with a lot of the stuff you do, you must be pretty comfortable with yourself because... Uh, I don't know how I look in any of the yeah. photos on it and I'm putting them out there. It's like the opposite of a dating profile or something. You're, you're, you're literally showing the worst of you from shit angles and stuff. That's what I was going to say. Eating or walking around, but... <laughs> I have to be real with it and I have yeah. to, you know, post them all. But I love that. I think it's super earnest mm. and brave. There's nothing worse than a photograph of you from a weird angle yeah. with like some jowls or when you're yeah. like looking down you've got triple well, I didn't chins. Know, I didn't notice I had a bald patch until that account because <laughs> no one's really taking photos of you yeah. there. And so someone took a photo of me from above and then people taking photos of me from behind. You're like, oh yeah, I've got a bald patch. Fuck. But I post them. <laughs> I did take one recently um, when you were at the Stanley Donwood talk. There's oh you yeah. and Anthony Burrell. What's the Did I post it? No, yeah. I, I haven't. I didn't put no, it on my Instagram and then copy you in. Is that what I have to do? And then oh, you, right. So yeah. that hasn't been... Because no. someone else did that evening. Okay. There's a video of me that I put up from that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just like a weird, creepy zoom-in video. Yeah. Oh, those are the best. When it gets shaky, the more they zoom yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. But I really like doing stuff like that because it's also playing with the notion of celebrity and Absolutely. fame. Absolutely. Mm. And I'm basically... By having that account, I'm saying... So basically I'm saying I'm famous look people take yeah. photos of me but I don't really think I'm famous it, but it, it's funny to exaggerate it and for people to think I am and I think everybody gets <clears> the <throat> jokes that's what that's what I love is I think your audience get what you're exactly, doing exactly yeah. they do yeah um, nobody thinks it's weird and, and now people when they see you they think it's another way of communicating right it's a sort of closeness in it it's a yes. tenderness and like oh there's bingo yeah. he doesn't mind if I take a picture yeah, and copy exactly. it in. and yeah. then you're communicating with people yeah. in a different way um, well, yeah, occasionally I, I walk past people in the street and they take a photo of me and like wink at me or go got ya and I'll just say alright cheers <laughs> send, send it over yeah and, you know or even like have a quick chat <laughs> you're, you're sort of letting yourself be papped really yeah yeah. it's when you're um, coming out of uh, like the ivy and you're stone cold drunk and your um, testicles hang out beside <laughs> your knickers as you get into a taxi that's that's going to be the prime one like proper papping um, you also Share, share pictures of yourself naked in hotel mirrors sometimes. Yeah. Um, where does that impulse come from? Well, um, without sounding like too much of a wanker, I've travelled a lot yeah. in the last few years. And so I'm in hotels a lot. And I started taking nude selfies in hotels and sending them to a friend of mine called Becky, who okay. lives in Italy. Uh, I don't think she ever asked for them, but um, <laughs> she she's, she doesn't seem to be offended by them, and she seems to enjoy it and like expects them now. So wherever I go anywhere, I take a nude selfie and I send it to Becky, um, hoping that she's going to send me one back. Really, I suppose <laughs> it's like a very very long game, you know, kind of always always waiting. But you know, 
Um, so if you're listening, Becky, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's very one way. Um, and yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. I was bored at Christmas probably. And I, I put a grid of them on my Instagram yeah. and it got banned, uh, too risque. Yeah. Um, so I then reposted it with little things over. Yeah. And then I do this event called Art Car Boot Fair every year where I sell, sell my work at a boot fair and well, art boot fair. Um, with just other artists and I decided to print a load of them and sell them as nude mystery nude <laughs> photos so they were all signed and then they you got them in a little envelope with a bit of Amazing. string uh, it's just silly I mean you, you you can't see any they're not too rude they're yeah. I'm fully nude but they're kind of a bit cheeky they're more kind of calendar girl style yeah. really and basically there's always an object in the way of my <laughs> cotton balls Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so and then talking of sort of being naked yeah you then did the calendar yeah project which can you tell us a bit about it for so a four years ago i wanted to do something with scratch off ink uh don't know why just uh, so i started with the um instead of starting with an idea i started with the production uh what do you call it i started with the yeah the production okay. process i started yeah. with the process and then thought, I want to do something with Scratch Off Ink. What can I make? And what do we want to scratch off? And what do we want to reveal? Something needs to be, there needs to be a secret that was mm-hmm. revealed when we scratch off this ink. And uh, I thought for ages about it, like on and off for months. And then one day I just hit on the idea of uh, nudity. That's yeah, perfect. We want, to, we want to scratch people's clothes off and see naked bodies because it's funny. And it's just interesting because... I don't know about you guys, but I quite often look at people and wonder what they look like naked. <laughs> so this project basically allows you to do that in a not so creepy way. Uh, and the first year I did it, I used um, strangers that I found on the internet uh, that didn't know that I used their photos. Um, they're basically people walking around on nudist camps and uh, beaches, <laughs> which were photographed by someone who didn't tell them. And then they uploaded them all on this huge blog. Uh, and I nicked all the photos and then drew them. Amazing. So that's why the first year there's people just sort of walking around miscellaneously. But what's nice is that they've got normal bodies, so they're just not, they're just regular yeah. people. Um, and then the second year I decided to use real people, and it's it's, it's kind of like everything I do, you know, like the hate mail and um, I don't know a lot of, a lot of projects I do start with an experiment. They kind of start with a question, and then the public decides whether the project yeah. happens or not. So I put out a thing saying nudes wanted. And if no one had replied to that, nothing happens. And if people did reply, then the project happens. So it's completely out of my hands. And luckily, 248 people applied to be in the first one. (laughs) Um, And it's become quite an empowering project, really, hasn't it? It's become a little bit accidentally kind of right on. It has, yeah. It's it's basically made me look way better than I probably am. (laughs) (laughs) And I really love, there was a video that you had with the last one. I was talking about some of the people in it. Yeah, the video is amazing. But but it's because the idea was amazing, wasn't it? Maybe, I don't know whether you wanted it to become that, but like this year, people are empowered to become naked, to be naked in front of you. And that's like... Amazing. So really. yeah, this is a this is a lucky byproduct of it. So the first year I did it, I just wanted naked bodies and I wanted to photograph them. I had no idea it was going to go as deep as it did <laughs> and interesting, and that people were going to tell me their life story and people were going to have really interesting reasons for being in it. So I asked people to send me a direct message if you want to be in the project, and I just thought a few people would go, yeah, I'll take my clothes off. That's funny. Um, and it, what it turned into very quickly was a lot of people sending me messages about bullying, body dysmorphia, Amazing. hating wow. their bodies, 
um, their life story. Uh, maybe someone had just died or they'd just come out of a really hard relationship. And for all these reasons, they wanted to be in the project. And so it was completely a different thing. Um, I mean, the project looked the same, yeah. but people's reasons for being in it created lots of interesting uh, stories. And, um, and then, yeah, the third year, um, a guy called Lee Holmes, who I didn't know, just approached me and said, can I make a documentary about you? And I said, no, I'd hate to have a documentary <laughs> made about me, but I'd love it if you made a documentary about this project I do, which is about these 25 strangers who want to take their clothes off to be in an advent calendar. And it was the pub one in 2018, yeah. last yeah. year. Um, and so that was great because basically all those people, he interviewed them all like this and they all told their stories of why they wanted to be in it. And there was some super interesting stuff that came out. And that, that film was amazing because it's, it's only eight and a half minutes, but I didn't commission it or pay him. He just wanted to make it. Yeah. So it's a completely impartial, honest piece of filmmaking. It's not an advert for me and it's not an advert for the project but it happened to end up being that because it's basically I came across well in it. <laughs> so it's like, I, I've got a, a lot to thank him for because he basically, you know, just made a made a film about the project, but it actually almost could have been a paid piece of really good PR. Yeah, yeah. I think people would have, would have sniffed that out. <laughs> yeah, they? yeah. I mean, it was, it's almost too good to be true. I mean, there's a, there's, a bit, there's a bit in the film where I say on the voiceover, and I don't remember saying this, but I said, I'm really interested in people and as I said that in the film, I'm like chatting to some strangers and we're all laughing together. And I was like, fuck, this is like a, this could be like a political party. For, you know, this, people, people are going to look at this and go, he's a nice guy. A bingo party. Yeah. We'll vote for him. Yeah. Bingo for Prime Minister. So yeah, prop, props to Lee for like basically making me look good in a film. It's funny that it became something... With a lot of these things, they become something more than you intended, even. Yes, I think everything I do does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is incredible. And this yeah. year, I've seen some people posting uh, videos on Instagram stories about their participation in the project. Yeah. And these people are just, like, grateful to be able to just be themselves in a sort of public space, really. Yeah. That's the other lucky thing for me with that project, is that... I'm making a decent amount of money out of that project and those people aren't getting paid to be in it, but none of them have ever said to me, uh, I, th I want to be paid to be in it. They're all so happy to be in it, which is like really lucky for me, you know. And that kind of makes me sound a bit bad and money grabbing, but um, it, it, what's good about it is that I don't feel, I don't have to feel bad about not paying them to be in the project because they're, they're so grateful for being in it, which yeah. is another thing that I didn't mm. expect, you know. Because you've not taken advantage of anyone or anything like that. It's like they've got it something they look wanted at it. as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Would you uh, would you consider doing a scratch and sniff one? No. <laughs> I think it uh, it would over egg the, yeah. the joke or the idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, while we're talking about genius merch, can you tell us about your Brexit tea towel? Um, I made a tea towel about <laughs> Brexit. A little joke about Brexit. which meant to be a kind of. Um, it's meant to be a humorous infographic mm. on the subject of Brexit, which is talking about how if we had the vote again and we didn't include dead people uh, who voted before, the, it would have swung the other way and we, yeah. wouldn't, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing now. Um, and so the tea towel is, I think it's got a drawing of 76 uh, old people laughing and it says at the top of the tea towel, people who voted for Brexit who are now dead. Uh, and it was one of those stupid drawings I just did when I heard something on the news. It was an instant reaction to mm. it. Kind of probably a bit angry, I suppose. Um, like my parents voted for Brexit. Um, and it was so it was a bit of a, like a release, I suppose, that one. It was yeah. a real gut feeling. 
and I drew it and um, didn't. And I put it on my Instagram and said, "Idea for a tea towel? Anyone want one?" Really casual, sort of like, and that was part of the joke as yeah, well. Yeah. I was like, "Tea towel? Anyone want a tea towel?" And thousands <laughs> of people said yes. And then I went and manufactured it and drew it again and made it nice and. And it's kind of, it's just silly. Like I made it really colourful, so it's quite dark because it's obviously about death, but I've made yeah. it really colourful and pretty and kind of naive and um, and I wanted it, to, I don't know why, I, t- I thought a tea towel would just uh, perfect, suit it. Yeah, it? it just suits Brexit for some reason. <laughs> and it got quite a lot of uh, comments, like didn't Farage retweet? Yeah, so for about two years it was right. just quietly out there yeah. and lots of people bought it and enjoyed it and sort of funny liberal people liked it. But then uh, this year Nigel Farage found it and tweeted a picture of it and just wrote charming. So suddenly it went to 1.4 million uh, Farage type people, um, which is a new audience for my work. And that was really interesting for mm. me because they absolutely hated it. And I've never had that before. I've only ever had people like me or, right. you know, kind of... It, it's it's almost like all the people that follow my work are like a gang and everyone's in on the joke together and it's like, oh yeah, we, we get this and that's why we follow it and like it, which is, I suppose, like most people on who are making art and putting it on social media. Mm. And then suddenly all these other people found it and really didn't like it and I got lots of death threats. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Did you, I think... And sold loads of tea towels. Wow. And maybe, maybe... Some people converted over. Who knows? Not to not to so. non Brexit, yeah. but yeah, maybe they yeah. would have seen some of your other work. And yeah. Actually... What you... was really interesting is that I got I got a lot of death threats from people, and I know why they were angry because basically they were people whose uh, maybe their dad or mum or, or grand had voted for Brexit and then had died, yeah. and so for them it was a direct attack on them. Yeah. And I was basically it was like I, they were thinking I was laughing at their dead dad. And you can't reply to an email like that because in a very small way, I was laughing at their dead dad, which isn't very nice. Yeah. And um, so I couldn't reply to any of them and I just ignored them all. But then what's really interesting is that um, a few other people have emailed me since saying, hi, just wanted you to let you know that um, my parents voted for Brexit and one of them's dead and I really love your tea towel and think it's really funny and yeah. I bought one. And that's Amazing. like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because that's the thing, it was never your intention to specifically single out anyone's no. dead parents. It's a concept, right? Yes, yeah. but also the people in it are just made up. They're, just, they're not anyone. And uh, when Nigel Farage tweeted it and it went crazy online and it blew up on Twitter and I was like, uh, you know, public hate figure for about a week and Daily Express wrote an article about it, a lot of those people um, assumed that I'd found real people. You know, I'd spent a yeah. lot of time researching dead Act Brexit voters hell. and then drawn yeah, that, that would be dark. <laughs> That's fucked. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> because the alternative would be like uh, 16-year-olds who weren't able to vote last time at the referendum who are now able to vote, which is a lot more boring, a lot more yes. wordy. But that's yeah. sort of the age equivalent. So I think I remember those statistics. It's the amount of young people who can now vote yeah. who might have voted Remain mm. and the amount of people who voted Brexit who are now on the other yeah. side. So that was, was that your first experience of being on the, the other side of quite a bit of... Yeah, first and only, actually, yeah. yeah, yeah. And my advice to anyone, if they ever get in themselves in a position of being a public hate figure, is you do nothing. Just uh, avoid everything, stay offline, don't reply to anyone because it fans the flames. And um, yeah. it actually goes away way quicker than you think. Yeah. So after eight days, everything died down and I didn't hear from anyone again. Because internet, internet news moves really quickly. Yeah, there's something new every, every half yeah, hour. Yeah, really. yeah. You seem happy to put yourself in chaotic or unpredictable situations with quite an unwavering confidence. Has this ever gone wrong for you? 
No, it's always okay, actually. I think people should take way more risks because yeah. life's not as scary as you think. And uh, there's... Um, especially, like, meeting strangers. A lot of people were expecting weird things to happen when I went around a stranger's house and did their washing up or yeah. went on a date with a stranger or got drunk on a train with strangers. But all of those people were nice. Yeah. And um, if you look at the news or, or Twitter, you kind of think everyone's horrible and scary and the world's completely fucked. But actually, 99% of people are really nice mm, and they're, they're really lovely and kind and have, you know, good energy. And so uh, I've never had a situation which I felt was chaotic or out of hand. It's just, most people just want to get through the day and they're yeah, exactly. happy, yeah, lovely yeah. people. Yeah. The thing is, I guess, with cinema on the news, it's like you read about a few people yeah, and all of a sudden worst. you think that everybody is you yeah. know, trying to chop you up in their apartment yeah. or something. Yeah, which, I, you, did, which I did once. <laughs> <laughs> uh, getting the blood out is really difficult, Oh, no, it? it's a nightmare. Um, can you tell us about Martin Ollie? Martin Ollie is a man who I've never met who wrote a letter to a magazine in 2003. Uh, it's called .NET Magazine. And they featured me and a guy called John Bergerman um, okay, yeah. as up-and-coming illustrators at the time, uh, like ones to watch for the future. And they were saying, you know, these are new people, here's their work. It was like some of our earliest bits of work. And they were saying, you know, ones to watch. It was this tiny little section of the magazine uh, it was you know a monthly feature they did with new people and someone called Martin Ollie hated us and hated our work and wrote a letter to the magazine complaining that they shouldn't have given us you know column inches and space and said he hated the work and uh, it's clearly we haven't gone to art college and um, <laughs> it goes is I can't remember it, it's loads but yeah. um, I should not have by heart because I'm reading it out in lectures all the time. <laughs> uh, and I decided uh, that I was gonna have a did I just um I decided I was gonna have basically have an, a revenge attack a really long relentless revenge attack on Martin Ollie <laughs> and punish him for this letter and I decided I was gonna put him in work forever um and try and become as successful as possible put him in bigger things <laughs> and uh and I've just abused him ever since in work so just put him in magazine you know, I'd hide his name in things in magazine um, illustrations and I did a big piece on the wall for Byron Hamburgers uh, and on the wall there was a bowling pin and in the middle it just said um, Martin Ollie is a tool nice, uh, nice. yeah just like a basic one um, the first book I did in 2010 I think it's a little postcard book I did um, with a do you remember Concrete Hermit yeah. yeah yeah and it just said Martin Ollie is a cunt on one of the pages. It was a simple one. Um, sometimes when I used to do talks, it would flash up as a, uh, like a slide. It would just say, fuck Martin Ollie. Amazing. And I wouldn't say anything about it. It would just come up for a few seconds <laughs> and then I'd carry on talking about something else. That's not slide 67, is it? No, that's something else. That's we'll just slide 67. That. Yeah. Oh, okay. I will ask you about that in a minute. And uh, yeah, so I just kept doing it and people really loved it and it got a bit of a cult following. I, it was on a, There was a beer bottle with him on. Amazing. Um, not, it wasn't the whole beer bottle, but it was like part of the label. Uh, I used to have a packet of stickers and uh, on the back it had like instructions for how to use these stickers and, and then one of the things just said fuck Martin Ollie again it was, just, it was just everywhere um, and eventually he found out about it uh, after about 14 years one of his <laughs> kids found it online so a lot of people if you google Mr Bingo Martin Ollie yeah. quite a lot of stuff comes Amazing. up it's uh, beef isn't it it's beef yeah it's big beef yeah and um <laughs> I mean, the, the, yeah, I mean, what's nice about the joke is the relentlessness of it. Yeah. It's just the not stopping. It's just yeah. keep going, keep going. Um, and 
his kids found it and yeah. bought him my book Amazing. and then he, he reviewed my first book on Amazon um, which you can find if, if you go on there and he gave it he gave it two out of five and then wrote this long thing saying and the, the review is called the real Martin Ollie writes and, uh, and then he just says you know I've, I know you've got this vendetta against me and I've I've just discovered all of it and uh, but it was quite nice you know it was quite jokey yeah. his response it wasn't too angry Okay, have the shorts, socks and shirts become a kind of uniform? Yeah. Uh, well, it's kind of, it's just, it's weird. I mean, it's how I like to dress. So it's, I think it's how I would dress. But um, then you start dressing in a certain way and you become a slight public figure because yeah. I do so many talks. I'm, I am on stage a lot and, and people see me walking around. I walk a lot. I walk for about two and a half or three hours a day. So Amazing. generally people see me around on the streets a lot in, in London and um, it is quite funny that they recognise you. So I think it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Is that the word? Yeah. Uh, where you like almost start turning into the character yeah. and then you wake up and go, oh, of course, I'm Mr. Bingo, so I need to put those shorts on. <laughs> I was going to say, is there, an, is there an expectation or to, to feel the pressure to dress like that? Probably or? a little bit. Yeah. But, it, but it, yeah, it's, it's really... I mean, it's such a deep subject. It's like it, basically what we're touching on here is is Mr. Bingo a character that yeah. you're playing or is it really mm. you? And yeah. you, you want it to be really you because if it is a character you're playing, that's a bit sad. Uh, it's maybe a waste of a life, uh, but so I hope it's really me. Um, I mean, I can tell you that sometimes I go on holiday on my own, and okay, if I'm yeah, I would wear the shorts, but yeah. occasionally I go on like a hiking holiday and I don't, and I wear just hiking gear the whole time, yeah. and no one sees me. Amazing. Well, that's your time out, I guess. It must <laughs> yeah. be. It must be. It must be strange that there's this persona that's grown that is you. That I mean, we could probably do a whole podcast just on yeah, this. Yeah, it's separation confusing. of you yeah. and the and the character that people expect. Yeah, because yeah. obviously, in your quiet moments or when you're on your own, you're not the person that people expect Mr. Bingo to be, right? No. I mean, you are, but you aren't. Yeah, I think people think I'm way more fun than I am and crazy <laughs> because uh, you know, I mean, I don't help it. I talk a lot on. I talk. I think I've. I have talked a lot about drinking on on social media because it's like sometimes those are the funniest things that are happening. Yeah. And based on the like amount I've talked about it, I think people think I'm a really like a party animal, but the truth <laughs> is I'm not, you know. And uh, you know, and it doesn't help when your your my profile picture is I'm me in a pub with a pint. <laughs> so I think people think I'm quite a fun, wacky guy. <laughs> uh, what's the thing with slide sixty seven? Um so sometimes when I do a talk, when I get to slide 67, I've made a little video and it says slide 67 yeah. and it grows towards the screen yeah. with really strong classical music playing. And it's just to be irreverent and make people laugh and Amazing. gives you a chance to sip a bit of water as well. Okay. It's good. It's become like a little part of the bingo mythology. Yeah. <laughs> I can we'll even scrub that answer out. I can tell you what it's copying, though. Okay. It's uh, or heavily influenced by. There's a Monty Python book called uh, The Monty Python Paper Bock, I think it's called. And it's like an annual sort of thing they made in the 70s, maybe. Okay. And one of the pages says, welcome to page, whatever, 76. Or And I've, I've kind of taken that idea of like a page being a huge number making just making the number the thing and then made it into a slide so amazing it's kind of yeah monty python uh influenced it's good it's part of the again part of the mythology <laughs> we've watched a lot of talks oh, recently gosh. of yours and uh yeah i was just like 
this is strange and jarring, but I quite, <laughs> but I quite like it. <laughs> I like, in talks, I like doing things that make the audience feel a bit awkward. Yeah. So there's, sometimes I, um, there's a bit where I play music for about 20 seconds and I stare. And that's a really long time on stage to do something, <laughs> you know, that, that long. Uh, yeah. How does that make you feel? Like just, Powerful. Yeah. It's strange, isn't it? <laughs> Like you were talking about, the difference between when you're on the stage, the sort of loneliness of it, but also the elevated sort of yeah, status yeah. or power. Yeah, it's or, yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, amazing. Um, so you mentioned that you love walking. Where's your favourite place to walk? Um, probably in the UK. Well, just because it's easiest to get to places. Yeah, yeah. But um, I love walking around the southwest coast of Cornwall and mm. Dorset and Devon. And I love, so I love walking next to the sea on cliff edges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. And I like um, mountainous places like the Lake District, Yorkshire Dales and Scotland, just kind of up north. Yeah. Yeah. Do you walk alone? Yeah, most of the time. Yeah. Sounds like some kind of sad ballad, doesn't it? <laughs> I walk alone. <laughs> I love walking. I love walking alone. And actually, quite often when I'm walking alone, I will listen to music or podcasts. Okay. Yeah. You did mention online or in one of your talks... I'm not sure how true it was. When you were looking out to sea, you were listening to Black Sabbath and then you show this sort of black and white yeah. sea and it's, what is it? What Changes. Is oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's the truth. Yeah. I mean, I probably didn't stand and listen to the whole of Changes staring at the sea, but it's on my, I've made a little walking playlist and that's one of the songs, so. How often do you do you walk? Well, I walk every day because uh, so I've got the little steps app on my phone that yeah, tells me, me that I probably walk about, I don't know, probably about two and a half or three hours a day, just hour, okay. nowhere really, just wandering around London, uh, getting on with little tasks and doing things. So I kind of, if I've got something I need to do, I will, I don't drive and I don't really use public transport much. So I'll walk to that shop or I'll walk to that place and just, you know, like this morning, I did a talk earlier today, actually at nine o'clock this morning. Uh, which was a few miles away, and I walked to it. So I got really early, and I walked to the talk. I'm such an achiever. (laughs) (laughs) But it's because I just knew I'd feel better. Kind of doing a talk at nine o'clock in the morning is quite tough. And if you just wake up in a warm room, and then you have breakfast, and you get in a taxi, Mm -hmm. and then go to that venue, and then you go and do the talk... I don't think you're going to be in the best place, but no. if you do an hour walk, yeah. you're going to be in a way better place and a mood and a sort of... I can't drive mm. either. And I yeah. live right by some cliffs, so I walk a lot on those, especially... Don't like, jump off. No. <laughs> well, it depends what day it is. So you have some supremely talented and eccentric friends, <laughs> a couple whom have kindly I don't submitted... Know <laughs> <laughs> some who have kindly submitted some questions for us to ask you instead oh. of our quickfire round. So, uh, do you want to go first? Yeah. So, David um, Hasselhoff. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Jim... He's not my friend. Jim Stoughton from Hastings. Oh, yeah. Hi, Jim. He asks... Um, <laughs> be better if he called in, like a radio oh, show. Oh, we totally oh, we could have Yeah. So, he asks, when are we going to make this album you promised to make with me? And should the album be called Jim and Bingle Sing Songs? Uh, yeah, it could be called that. That's a good idea. <laughs> and we should make it as soon as possible, really. Uh, what's stopping me? I think it's my um, my own fear of doing stuff. So people do think I'm really brave and risk taking, but actually I'm I'm actually really scared of doing loads of stuff. And I uh, would love to make music, and I would love to make documentaries, and I'd love to explore loads of other avenues and ideas. But I often don't do things because I'm too nervous. So uh, thanks for that, Jim. Uh, let's <laughs> let's do that. I think you'd be in safe hands with Jim as well. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to see that. Yeah. Definitely. You did, um, is it Us By Night? I think I've seen yeah. a short clip of you guys both on stage together. Yeah, that then. was really fun, that, actually. Yeah. Um, 
Wilfred Wood from East London asks... Hi, Wilfred. Why do people keep asking me if you are gay? Um, I don't know. I give off gay energy, I think. Um, I, I don't, some people are pretty basic, I think. Yeah. And they're like, oh, he wears pink shorts. He's quite camp. He doesn't try... I don't try and be masculine. Yeah. I'm just myself. I'm naturally quite camp. Uh, friendly um, and uh, I think Wilfred some people I know have asked Wilfred if I'm, if I'm gay because they've said I'm bitchy he's bitchy and he wears pink shorts uh, yeah I don't know but they just yeah because I hang out with him <laughs> he's gay yeah by association oh and yeah maybe having lots of gay friends yeah yeah amazing drawing you did where you wrote to Wilfred or something underneath recently it was a uh... I think it was on a postcard. It was of a man with a, a oh, holding yes. a dildo up his own Yes, yes, bottom. yes, that's Fantastic. right. Yeah, it said, go fuck yourself. That's and it's right. a guy fucking himself. Yeah. Oh, the other thing is I draw a lot of cocks and yeah. naked men. And it's just because I think they're funny. Yeah, they it's are not because I'm attracted to them. It's yeah. awkward, isn't it? Yeah. The, male, the male body yeah. is an awkward, lumpy thing. Yeah, and I, I guess I'm always trying not to be too laddie and misogynist, even yeah. though I am quite laddie in real life. Um online I'm very guess I'm very open mm. and flirt with anyone so I flirt with men on the internet yeah. and that confuses people as well <laughs> that, that definitely gives off a gay a gay sort of uh, thing yeah so probably all those reasons <laughs> um, so the next one is uh, from Anthony Burrell from Rye oh hi Anthony <laughs> <laughs> he asks uh, do your legs get cold in winter yeah, they do. It's a nightmare. And uh, going back to what we were saying earlier, this is this is one of the nightmares of trying to live up to a uh, what people are expecting, an expectation of me to wear shorts all the time. Uh, it's freezing, yeah. <laughs> uh, then we have some from each of us, actually. Okay. So uh, my mine is, uh, would you have sex with a ghost? Yes. Any ghost, or would it have to be a particularly sexy ghost? Oh, it'd have to be sexy, yeah. yeah. As long as I was attracted to the ghost, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. There are a few stories of people having had sex with ghosts. Really? Yeah. I don't know if you'd be able to feel it. <laughs> I guess another question is, can you have sex with a ghost? I don't know if you can mm-hmm. physically, really. I mean, you could maybe... Or Do you mean like a dream or you see a ghost and then you just yeah, start shagging it? Yeah, the ghost is or... like, hey, baby. Yeah. And then you, yeah, because <laughs> ghosts talk like that. Yeah, right? I, mean, I think most people would probably be scared of a ghost and uh, probably wouldn't be able to... Well, if you're a male, you might not have to get it up because you might be a bit too frightened. I guess if you were to do like one of your Venn diagrams, it would be how sexy is the ghost? Yeah. Um, how scary is the ghost? Yeah. And then there'd probably be this bit in the yeah. middle where it's like, yes, I, yes. And I think if you'd had a few drinks, it'd be easier to um, yeah. have sex with a ghost. Especially like... A, and then the next morning you'd be times. like, what happened? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're laying next to the ghost. Yeah. It's like, oh, you didn't look like that. But that's the thing. Do you also, does it like, uh, ghosts are quite typically, they're quite like vanishing and floating off and yeah. stuff. So they, do they, post-sex, do they just sort of like vanish and yeah. that's it? What do they call that when you sort of, uh, is it dirty stuff out or when you sneak off in the morning after? Yeah. I don't know. Ghosts uh, are really good at that. Walk of goes, shame or something. Yeah. 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 just go yeah. straight through the wall. Yeah, well. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's convenient to sleep with a ghost if yeah. if you just want a quick one night stand sort of style. <laughs> <laughs> um, so which monarch in history would you like to... Uh, kind of graffiti on a stamp I don't know any that's, I just don't know enough right. about history so yeah that's one of those no answer questions I'd have to research easy it easy with the current one yeah that's the only one I know yeah right. but there haven't yeah. been many um, female monarchs so I guess like oh, it would be uh, it could be a male just, yeah, it, it just be, has yeah. to be a head on a stamp yeah, yeah. and you just draw the rest of the body 
Yeah, I don't really know much about previous roles, but Prince Philip on a stamp with a massive yeah. dongle would be quite... <laughs> anyway, yeah. Yeah. Maybe Henry VIII. So, yeah, I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. he'd look pretty. Yeah. Is his head too fat to fit on a small stamp? They've <laughs> got to get it on. Some, design, some designer's got that job, had that job. So, um, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. And do you have any Jerry Springer-style final thoughts for our listeners? Um... Jerry Springer, final thought. A serious one, actually. Uh, Don't become addicted to your work. Okay. And that's all I'm going to say on that. Amazing. That's great. (laughs) Well, I'll just say that's basically a problem that I suffer with. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this episode. We think you'll agree it's an incredible end to season two. We'll be back in the spring. In the meantime, why not check out our archive interviews, like and subscribe and follow us on Instagram. Remember, No Ideas is always recorded on location with the artists and never remotely or by Skype. So be sure to check out the website for all the pictures and extra content available. Thanks again to all our guests, uh, to Tomino for the theme music and to you, the listeners. Why not send us a review on iTunes or let us know which idea you wish you'd thought of via email or on Instagram and we'll read the best ones out in season three. And we'll see you in the spring for more ideas.